This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you afraid? You should be. I thought he was the man to lead us through the long night. The face will be added to the whole. You would spill blood in this holy place. The gods were mine. Show them what Lannisters are. And make no mistake. The dead are coming. Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. We are Tate the Black, and I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with the usual suspect, Annie, Isis, Corey, of House Phone. First of his name, and Corey. Second of his name, Corey Smith. And we're here to talk the finale, win, The Winds of Winter. And guys, what an amazing episode. There's so much to get to. It was mind-blowing and Baylor-blowing, literally. So let's get right into it. And before we start, Annie, I want to get right to you. How awesome was it to see House Stark's sigil on Winterfell once again? Um, You know, I I am quite pleased that House Stark is back where they belong. Um, I'm not sure that I'm so pleased with how things are going between Sansa and Littlefinger, and I'm not sure I'm so happy about what's going on between Sansa and Jon, but, you know, for the moment, the Starks are finally on top. We'll get to that later, but... Let's get right into the opening scene, and oh my god, can we all just have a round of applause for uh, Ramin, the the composer of of the episode, because that man, if there's a heaven for composers... Yes, thank you, Corey. (laughs) If there's a heaven for composers, this man has earned his mansion and an entire street of gold named after him, because... This man has earned it because, my God, I got chills up and down my spine the entire opening credits and the entire opening scene. From the moment from the moment uh, they all put their uh, different robes and clothes on and they started walking into the Sept of Baylor and that music started playing, I was just like, holy crap, am I watching Game of Thrones or am I watching some kind of other show? I'm... This is like a surreal experience, and uh, Isis, take me through uh, how you felt as you're listening to this music and as you're watching the trial of Loras Tyrell take place. You know, the entire time I'm listening to this music, 
it was just hauntingly beautiful. I, that's the only words I could destri- describe it. It was just very hauntingly beautiful. Um, you're just sitting there, and there's not a whole lot of dialogue. I mean, there there are some dialogue, but as far as you know, the first there 20, didn't need to be. No, no, because the the music just made you. It brought you to another level for your anxiety. If it wasn't already high as it was already, um, to see everybody getting dressed and they're all getting dressed for the same but different reasons. Uh, one was there to, you know, kind of gloat that, hey, you know, I'm about to try Cersei. One was, she was, I, I felt like Cersei was putting her battle regalia on, you know, her her, her armor. Um, you know, Tommen was basically getting dressed to, to go to this thing that he really didn't want to go to, but he, he needed to, to, to support his in-laws and stuff like that. I mean, all these people were getting ready for something dramatic and all for very very different reasons, and um, it was just absolutely spectacular. The, the music was probably the best music we've had from Game of Thrones, and the second may be the music that is used for the dragons. I, that's the only thing that I could I could. Oh, at the end, yes. at the end, when, yes. whenever whenever Theon looks up and he's watching the uh, house. Um, Greyjoy uh, banner flap in the wind, and that music starts to play. That, that was just absolutely amazing. And I amazing. felt like that, that was, theme it, is called that. That theme is uh, called "A Dance of Dragons." By the way, it, oh my! And God. I absolutely felt like they were really great bookends for the episode because the first one was to basically kind of get you, you know, your heart pumping and going like, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And and every time something happened you 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 were just like your heart just kept on going with the beat of the music and then at the end was a a big payoff of like you know like almost relief uh music but anyway that's that's all i'm going to talk about at the music i thought it was really really exceptional um and then you know of course we go and see loris uh being tried and I, I i i'm sorry i kind of was sad that his hair was gone and uh and then <laughs> i was like all oh, his beautiful locks are gone and um and then marjorie who i feel like i hated the fact that she died but i i understand why they did it and i was just i was so saddened because i really really liked her i felt like if she would have been able to stay on game of thrones she could have really been a big player in this game um, but it was, you know, to see Marjorie end up going out like that as far as like, hey, she knew from the get go that something was not right. She didn't need the music to know that something wasn't going right. She could just see what was going on in the room and know something wasn't right. So um, I, I'm really sad about about Marjorie and everything. But it was it was that beginning part was exceptional. Well, I want to uh, quickly go back to Annie. Really mm-hmm. just you are the resident costume expert for us and um we've made a few comments in chat about uh Cersei's outfit and you said something that stuck out to me and you said Cersei was putting on her armor in this episode that was her putting on her armor yeah she and she was to me um you know she might have been going she might have been playing the part of the mother but she was wearing the costume of the warrior 
Exactly, and I love that you said that because she was dressed in all black leather, right? Mm-hmm. And she has the um, she has the the chain going across her chest from shoulder to shoulder, which echoes one of the things I just everything about this episode echoed. So, like when you saw the shots of them getting dressed, the first shot is Cersei looking out the window at the Sept of Baylor, and then you see a shot of Marjorie being dressed by her maids. She wears clothes that she can't put on herself. Right. And then the next shot is the High Sparrow dressing himself because he doesn't wear those kinds of clothes. And then the next shot is Tommen being dressed and then looking out the window himself at the Sept of Baylor. So it, mm-hmm. it, it bookended each each little shot bookended itself. And yeah, that track is very different from any other track we've had on this show most of the most of the time um it's all it's it's kind of there's a there's a a a bit of a middle eastern flair to it um a little bit of an indian flair to it um and a little this was straight shakespearean like you could play that under a scene from richard the third and it would have absolutely worked this was so this was so British and so, so Shakespearean and so historical. It was very, it, it really lent a gravitas to the scene that, you know, a lot of the times with background music, you're not supposed to notice it. Like, if that's, right. if you notice it, it's not doing its job. In this case, you should notice it because it was like taking the, you know that how um, in The Red Wedding, they, uh, in the Red Wedding, there's this slow build of suspense. This was the slow build of, or not the Red Wedding, the Purple Wedding. The Purple Wedding in King's Landing is this ah, long, yeah. is this long shot of the party, and as the party just keeps going, keeps going, you get this slow build. This was basically the Purple Wedding meets the Red Wedding. You know, the, the slow, slow build of suspense and and terror, and then I mean, seriously, a body count that I just, Walder Frey was all like, "Look at me, I'm a Kingslayer." And, <laughs> <laughs> and Jamie's all like, "Why do we need you? I'm the Kingslayer." Well, you know yeah. what? Jamie doesn't know this, but <laughs> Walder Frey has also just been displaced as the biggest murderer on the show. I mean, really, the Lannisters do not need him in any way, shape, or form now. That's true. That's absolutely. True. You know, one of the things too about the the opening scene that they hadn't shown yet was kind of the scale of. It seemed like the Sept had been growing in power, obviously, all season. And we've Obviously, we've seen yeah. we've seen the temple up close. We've seen the steps. We've seen the inside of it. This is the first time I can at least remember recently us seeing the scale of it in regards to the town that is in King's Landing, like uh, mm-hmm. how big it is, how it looms over the town, and it's kind of like it's visible from everywhere. And not only, right. I mean, and I think that that was intentional to not show us an external shot like that until this episode for us to see that, you know, when Jamie comes back over, you know, the, the hill and he can see the entire village city, you know, it's like there's a giant nine eleven crater that's smoking in the middle of this town. And that's a great yeah. way to explain it. The nine eleven crater. That's an excellent way to explain well, it's gonna, it. And, and the thing is, it's going to be an, it's, it's going to be a focal point. I think next season is like the, the charred remains of the sept is going to be. It has yeah. to be. It absolutely has to be. And you know what? Here's what. Here's what I loved. I mean, you hate to say you love so much destruction, but here's what I loved about Cersei blowing up the sept of Baylor. Because not only did the sept of Baylor get absolutely obliterated with wildfire, and everyone inside of it, all of her enemies, all of the sparrows, the high sparrow himself. All of the Tyrells that were inside there, all of the little sparrows, all the Septas and the Septons, 
but all the people that mocked her as she walked her walk of shame. And then if you notice, that bell went down, and I thought the bell was absolutely perfect because it was symbolic of her bell of shame. Ding, 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 shame. Ding, 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 shame. And that bell hit down that street and crushed somebody in the middle of the streets. And those streets were the same streets she walked down through her walk of atonement. So I thought that was symbolic, first of all, and perfect to show. And I thought it was just absolutely beautiful. But I want to talk next, and I'm going to talk to Corey Smith. What did you think about Lance Lannister following Kyburn's little bird? I'm going to call, I like to call him Kyburn's. Because there's Kyburn's little birds through the through the tunnels in the dungeons because that was amazing that that little piece of work because by the time that Lancel's following Kyburn's little guy we're getting organ music and I was just like now we're getting into the point of um, some kind of like devious little like horror film yeah and I mean. Just to circle back, I mean, you touched on the music, but I mean, I think the reason it worked so well is that it was so different from all the other themes we'd seen throughout the show. And because it was so different, it stood out really quickly and kind of immediately let us know something was wrong. Even before Marjorie kind of picked up on it, we kind of, as viewers, picked up on it. And like you said, I did enjoy when Lancel was kind of following this kid. You know, he doesn't necessarily feel threatened as a kid, you know. He, but he kind of feels like maybe... And he's a little kid, too. Right. He's a little bitty, bitty kid. I'm watching it right now as we're, as we're doing the podcast, and I'm at that part right now, and he's tiny. Yeah, five or six, maybe seven years old, small kid. Lancel obviously feels no no threat from the kid, and so, but he is intrigued because the kid does look suspicious. And so I think that that was also part of Cersei's plan. She kind of had a special... Uh, fate in mind for Lancel. Um, mm. You know, she wanted Lancel to kind of maybe figure out what was going on first. Uh, because Lancel, Lancel would have been familiar with uh, various spiders, various birds. I mean, not yeah. Spiders, I, I mean, I hate to cut you off. But yeah. I don't. I don't think that that was the plan. Was to lead him to the point where he could almost stop it because he came really close. Yeah, and, but, the, yeah but the idea is that he got an extra special punishment. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I disagree on that, but I, I get it. Was but he very got shanked. Dramatic. But but Corey, he got shanked in the spine. Yeah. He couldn't walk. Okay, so, he got okay, okay. So we're okay. Spine. Are we gonna do that? We're gonna say that that the plan was for Cersei to have a little bird lead Lancel to within a hundred feet of the of the candles to stab him exactly in the spine with this little six year old, so he can't walk, but he's strong enough to where he can crawl over there and still almost stop it, only for him to die first in a way that we can never confirm. Or know that he died that way. I don't know. You, you can't. It's hard to suspend suspend disbelief. I in think the show that Lancel almost just like with Marjorie. If she'd have figured it out a little bit sooner, then they could have gotten out of there. I think Lancel just was smart and almost figured it out. And the little bird that was like the foreshadowing for, uh, or or that was like I don't know. It was foreshadowing. But that was just like a, a show of like these little birds are no longer little birds. They're little demons. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. It, it is a bit of a stretch to to assume that Cersei was able to pull something that elaborate off um, to get Lancel, but it's also not out of the realm of possibility because I do think that Cersei did not forget that it was essentially Lancel that got her locked up in the first place. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, I think Cersei planned her. this out. Yeah, I'm, I think Cersei planned this out perfectly into the T, and I also. 
since Corey, first of his name, stole your thunder, Corey Smith, I'm going to go ahead and lead, like, lead you into the uh, Kyburn stealing Varys lines from the epilogue of Dance with Dragons. And I thought this was so goddamn beautiful. Like, we have the little person bring P- Pycelle down to, the, down to the dungeons, right? And we have, um, we have Pycelle come down, and we have Kyburn uh, uh, down there. And, and, and I don't know if any of you guys noticed it, and I asked Dan this in chat today. Did anybody notice that Kyburn sounded really, really weird? Yes. He said, thank yes. you, thank you. He said, he, like, it was when, real high-pitched. Like, it was, he's like, yeah. <laughs> and then he says something to him, and I was like, why did he sound so weird? Like, why did he do that? I thought it was just the way my DVR recorded, and then no. so I watched it on the on my phone on the HBO to go app, um, and it was the exact same thing. So I was like, okay, was that intentional? Because it sounded really off, and like his voice finally leveled off after talking a little bit. So yeah. there, there were a couple of moments where the sound didn't quite sound right. Um, Cersei, when she first says, um, "Confess." to uh Onella pouring the wine on her. I swear to God, the first time I was like, is she outside the room, like speaking into a mic? <laughs> well, okay, but let me ask Corey Smith this. What did you think about Kyber and getting Varys lines? And 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 I loved it. It was it was word for word from the book. Uh I'm I'm sorry, my lord, you there you shouldn't have to die alone like this. You know, you know I yeah. I love that. What did you think I about mean, that? I mean, okay, so my my thoughts on that were uh you know, the lines from the book were just so good because in the book, obviously, it's Varys who who takes out Kevin Lannister as opposed to uh, Pycelle. Uh, I mean, he takes out both he of does, them, actually. He does take out Pycelle, but it, he doesn't, you know, do the... Oh. Well, in in the books, let's, let's preface this. In the books, he shoots Pycelle in the stomach. Right. Or, he, or actually, his little bird stabbed Pycelle, and Pycelle shits himself in death. And so Kevin comes into the room and smells a stink, but right. the window's open because uh, Pice, uh, Varys can't stand the smell, so he opens the window, but it's snowing in King's Landing, and there's a white raven because winter has come, and the Citadel has sent out the white raven. Right. And so there's, there's snow coming down, and Kevin's cold, and all of a sudden a crossbow bolt hits Kevin in the chest, and then that's when uh, Varys comes out and gives the speech. But now we have Pycelle down in the dungeons, Kyburn giving Varys speech. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so I, I mean, I was, I'm kind of split on this because I liked maybe necessarily the way it was in the books a little bit better because there was definitely some symmetry or irony or whatever you want to call it with Kevin dying essentially in the same manner that Tywin died in. He was shot, right, shot right, through the right. stomach with a crossbow bolt. Um, and he thinks that, too. He says it to himself. Right, the same way that, that my brother died. And so I, I, I like that part in the book. But, you know, the lines were just the, the speech that Varys slash Kyburn gives is just such good dialogue that it was kind of hard to fault the producers for wanting to put it into the show. Uh, because it, it is, I mean, if you think about it from a logical standpoint, it's kind of weird to single out Pycelle. Why not just let him go to the Sept and, um, you know, get killed along with everybody else? Um, but And plus, plus in, in the show, you don't have false Aegon. Right. So you don't have Varys championing false Aegon. So he's got to go back and forth between Dorne and right. Meereen to champion Danny. So that's why you need – that's why you need Varys doing that plot. 
instead of going back and forth between Kingsland. Yeah, and the only thing I could that I could come up with as to why they might have singled out Pycelle is because I, you know, if you think back over the series, Cersei has kind of always had a she hates she's her. always hated Pycelle. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's the only thing I could come up with as to why she would single him out because she's always had issues with him. Um, and she's always kind of gone out of her way to be annoyed and hate that guy. So that was the best I could come up with. I, I mean, you know, you're kind of splitting hairs. I mean, it, the scene worked. Uh, the dialogue was obviously excellent, and it did kind of give us, you know, we got to see Kyburn's little birds actually take somebody out. Go to town. Right. They went to town. Yeah, is that yeah. not creepy as hell? I the mean, only thing... You know, the, we saw that in the first trailer, right. didn't we? Yes, yeah. we did, and we couldn't figure we couldn't figure out what it was at first. Um, I just want to say, you know, I, I agree with Corey, second of his name. Um, the only thing though is that I took it as this was this this was Kyburn's uh, uh, special person who he wanted to take out. There it um, is. Yeah. In the yeah. same way, Lancel was Cersei's person who she wanted yeah. especially to take out. And so that in, makes sense. In, yeah, that was how I read it, was that each one of them got one that they got to torture a little bit first. Yeah. And well, no, it, Cersei's, Cersei's was the the lady she offered up as a rape sacrifice to the mount. Nurse Nurse Ratchetunella? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, no, I, again, I, I just think Lancel just happened to almost do it. But I do think that it was Kyburn. And it was also, like you said, I do think that Kyburn didn't have the hatred for the guy, uh, the creepy old man that other people did. And I think that it was almost like respectful that like, Hey, uh, I'm going to kill you myself because you've at least earned that. Right. So you're welcome. (laughs) But that's exactly how it happens in the books though, Corey. That's exactly what his lines were exactly what very says to Kevin. Yeah. I mean, you you don't, you you don't deserve to die like this alone and cold. This is not, it, despite your faults, this is this is not how it should happen. That's exactly what he says in the books. So I mean, Pycelle has always been a huge dickhead to to Kyburn. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever is you know, I don't know if Kyburn's ever taken it personally or not, but whatever. But um. Well, hey, before anyway. we get off topic, uh, let me just. I got a bitch. I've got to. I've got a bitch. Oh my god. So <laughs> let me just let me just understand this. Razor, lock your mic down. Good God. Um, Is it fixed now? Yeah, I think so. So, um, let me just understand this, that how old is Arya? Uh, Arya's probably in her... 13, 14, 15, say 15. 15 15-year-old Arya versus um, 18, 19-year-old Lancel, very strapping, strong young man. Uh, Arya takes three solid, twisty-knifed gut shanks and parkours off of buildings, and Lancel <laughs> Lannister takes a four-inch blade from an infant into his, uh, basically what looked like his asshole. And, it was his spine. It was his spine. And, and he, he severed his spine. Sure, because uh, that four-year-old could do that. And it was <laughs> just trying to understand that, that one blade into the back of somebody that is a pretty good-sized, healthy person equals can't move and is going to die three blades into the gut with a knife twist and diving into the shit river uh, <laughs> equals good little nap and some, 
some yum yum juice and you're jumping around town and I'm just trying to confirm that that's still that's what they're going for. Yep, that's still what they're going for. Congratulations. Okay, cool, great. And they're bringing that director back for like four episodes next season, which is no, great. they're not actually bringing that episode. They're not bringing that director. They're not bringing the director of of this episode back. No, Mylod, the one that sucks. Oh, his um, that one. <laughs> They're bringing them back for like three or four. I, I don't know. I actually, we don't know how many episodes they're bringing them back for. One of the things with the is director it, announcement today is they did not actually. Usually, when they announce the directors, they also list who, which episodes they're going to get, and it's usually like director one doing one and two, director two doing three and four. This one, it was just a list of four directors. Okay, so is he getting more than zero? Well, let me ask you this. Okay, since <laughs> since you're since you're bringing that up, how can you have such a problem with that? On a show with Razor, we can't hear your mic's falling all down your shirt again. Is it? Yeah, yep. you sound like you're miles Bye. away, buddy. Okay, y'all keep talking. All right. Uh, yeah, so welcome to Take the Flag. My name is Corey. <laughs> uh, that scratchy shit in the distance, that's Razor having a fight with Sir Pounce, <laughs> and uh, who actually has more of a claim to the uh, throne. Sir Cersei. Pounce still alive? Is Sir Pounce still alive? What happened to him? Uh, actually, Sir Pounce actually is Arya. Dean Charles Chapman actually said that he believes that Sir Pounce had left uh, had left the uh, Red Keep and gotten married to a nice lady cat, and the two of them were accidentally killed as collateral damage as they walked through an alley. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. I think Sir Pounce hey, saw the writing you know, on the wall. Is this any better? Can, the, the the yeah, you're you're better, Razor. Uh, can we right, just talk sorry, about the fact that? You know, the episode, the very beginning of the episode, and I love the episode. I thought it was the best episode season finale, whatever you want to call it. I, I thought it was great. Uh, but can we just talk about how Tommen took a freaking Superman out of that room? Well, now and, you know why it's called King's Landing. I mean, he literally... <laughs> that, that was such a nice dad joke there, Razor. Hey-yo! And, uh, That's why they call it King's Landing! Hey-yo! So I just thought it was, it was so amazing that first, you know, you see him, and he's visibly distraught. And, and, and this is my feeling that I got from it, that whole scene, is that he knew that his mom was behind it, and he just lost his wife, brother-in-law, basically his in-law, his, his whole entire in-law family, and the only way he could hurt his mom was by committing suicide, basically. Listen, this and, was all Tommen's fault, though. He was the pussy that let this happen. Well, and I understand Tommen, that, but at, at the same time, uh, you have to understand that he was a, he is a young child who, who was in, way in over his head. I mean, uh, granted... You know, we're talking about um, Mormont, uh, Liliana Mormont, and she's just a different altogether. Liliana Mormont. Okay. Liana. Okay. So, well, let me just finish real quick. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I just, I just found it like after everything that happened, he takes his crown off, he puts it down, he goes and does the Superman off the off his window and everything, and like we just go to the next thing. Like that was just it. Like we're not going to spend any more time on this. We are fucking moving on. And I just thought that was incredible because I was like, really? That's that's all we're we're just gonna just gonna leave it there. He killed himself. That's it. And um, but I felt like it just spoke so much more that we didn't drill on it. Um, that the fact that we, you know, he kills himself and then he moves on. And Cersei, because, and Cersei doesn't dwell on it either. Once she sees his body, you know what she says? She says, burn, a, burn his body and put it with the rest of the ashes as if she's like, you know what? I should have just let him go to the sept and die with the rest. 
It's because she had already resigned herself mm-hmm. to the fact that gold will be their shrouds. Yep. She knew it was going to yeah. happen. The prophecy of the Valencar had come true. Maggie's prophecy, she knew it was going to happen. And so she knew it. And so now she knows that there's going to be a younger, more beautiful queen come, and she's going to die. See, That's what's going to happen. See, but I had, a, I had a different take on Tommen's death than Isis because... If you uh, on the After the Thrones um, show, uh, well, no, not After the Thrones, the one that's right inside the episode. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay, never mind. Benioff or Weiss, one of them mentioned that had Cersei been present with Tommen at the time that everything happened, they don't think Tommen would have had that reaction. And I don't think so. No, no, no. Tommen wouldn't have had that choice. Well, I think that. Well. I mean, I think that what they're saying was is that Tommen was just crushed by the absolute evil that had just happened, and he couldn't live with it. I don't think he necessarily was trying to get back at his mom or anything like that. I think he was just so crushed by what had just happened, and that someone like his mother that he loves could perpetuate such evil that he just didn't feel like he could live in that situation. And I think that's what they're saying. and he also said, like earlier, earlier to Cersei, he had said, "I'm not a strong king like that. I right. can't do." So you yeah. know, I think there was, a, and I think the fact that he took his crown off before he threw yeah. himself out the window was a major thing. Yeah. Nope, he, he was done. He didn't want to be king anymore. He he wasn't it, Simba, it, right? And... <laughs> so Corey, I think I think uh, I think you're exactly correct. I think that he didn't ever want to be king. And that the thought of how evil his mother was and the fact that he, not only had he – he had found something else to put his faith in. Like right. he had found something right. that was like, okay, because Tommen would have been a good ruling king. He cared about the people. He cared about the faith. He cared about the suffering. And Marjorie and him would have done, I think, a pretty good job as a ruling couple. Cersei just couldn't let that happen. And Tommen, right. that was the last straw for him. He looked and saw the destruction of everything he cared about, the faith and his his, his love of his life, and probably Sir Pounce, and was like, <laughs> this, this like all of his mentors, everybody was dead. Everybody that had gotten, and it his was ear, his mother that did it. Not exactly. only that, and it was he, his mother. He, that it wasn't did just, but listen, it wasn't just Cersei. The High Sparrow was making him his own meat puppet too. Like the High Sparrow. Oh, sure, and we, was, we're going to talk. I'm sure we're going to talk about the scene between Marjorie and the High Sparrow here in a second. But with, since we got to Tommen, I just uh, it's a comment that I saw online somewhere, and it was exactly what I had said when it happened. Is I think that might be the first decision that Tommen made on his own since he became yeah. king, and it yeah. was to kill himself. Like yeah. that is how shitty the situation was. He saw absolutely no way out of it, and he had that moment. And you said if Cersei had been there, he hadn't have done it. He wouldn't have had the choice to do it. The mountain or somebody would have stayed and, and locked him down. But, uh, you know, he jumped out. It was his first action as king that he made on his own. And it was to bail the hell out of that window and to say, because he had absolutely nothing left. And he knew that he would never have anything. Cersei would never let him have anything except her. And it, yeah. was, it, was, it was it. And so he yeah. took the crown off and he swan, he, he straight up Luganist out that window and uh, scored a perfect 10 on the landing. And I have to say, I called that about a month ago we, on Wick Chat. We had this conversation, and we all kind of decided that the only way 
you know, because we didn't think someone would kill Tommen. So then what does that leave? Tommen killing himself. And we had talked about how if he would do that, it would take the death of somebody, most likely Marjorie, in order to push him over that limit. And it played out worse than I thought. But it was definitely something that you could maybe see coming just because he was always being pulled in a hundred directions. You know, honestly, right now, even though Cersei has uh, crowned herself queen, the Iron Throne is honestly up for grabs because there's no um, – the crown has not passed through through a family now. It's up for grabs. They can't say that, oh, it, it passed through the Baratheon line, through the Targaryens, through the Baratheons because – the, through through Targaryens, it passed through the Baratheons because the Baratheons took over through usurpers. Now it's up for grabs, so anybody can take the crown well, through war. Actually, well, that's why I was thinking of Richard III, actually, because Richard III basically becomes king because he basically wipes out every single other possible contender that there is. And that's basically what Cersei has done here. She has and in, she is she she just wiped them all out. There are no other contenders. And in fun, here's a fun fact for everybody who doesn't know this. In George R. R. Martin's first pitch, when he pitched Game of Thrones to his editors, Jamie is the one who sits on the Iron Throne. He kills everybody well, when he sits on the Iron Throne. I, and I, I can't remember the supporting evidence, but I do remember whoever wrote that article on Wick about who would become king after Tommen. The, was it Richard Preston? I think it was Lexi. I think it was Lexi. Lexi. It was Lexi. And Lexi traced it back and it actually was by law Cersei uh, because some sort of um, intermarriage between a Baratheon and a Lannister way back in the day I'd have to go back and read it but it was kind of it doesn't really matter because Danny's got a ship with a fleet with House Tyrell House Martell and the Unsullied, and three goddamn fucking huge dragons, and she's going to lay waste to the, to King's Landing. Yeah. So Can, I, and I really, I know that we are, the, the opening sequence of this was as good as the the Goodfellas introduction scene, it was as good as any, <laughs> it was as good as any, like, like suspenseful, you know, shot or, or, or scene, you know what I mean? Like, like you name it from any movie, Godfather, Goodfellas. Um, yes. I mean, it's it just the... Casino, yeah, all these uh, Scorsese. It was Scorsese esque. That's what I took yes, away it from was. it. Amen. Was that Amen. it was very much a Scorsese like, hey, here's and this person, spent... this person, and you're playing chess like, like, and everything. I want to talk about Marjorie and the High Sparrow. That's exactly okay, right, Corey. Yeah, um, do it because do it. I, I here, are the, here are the three things that I think, and I'll let you guys debate, but you're all wrong because I'm right. Um, <laughs> one, one is that uh, we well, a we saw the the crumbling of the agreement between Marjorie. And or we saw the exposure of the agreement between Marjorie and the High Sparrow that they were going to probably conspire together to try to get Cersei tried and 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 got rid of, and she mm-hmm. would go along with it. And, and the, but the problem with that is the second thing is that the High Sparrow actually still truly believed that he was the mouth of God or the gods or whatever. The problem is that his sin was arrogance, and that's what yep. caused that. But the last thing is that uh, you know when you're dealing with the argument that they had. It was like, you know, forget about the gods for one second and, and look around you. That showed that, thirdly, Marjorie never actually, just like with that rose she gave Elena, never bought into it. It was all a scam. And that took the High Sparrow off guard that he truly believed that he had converted Marjorie. I mean, in, in his powers of, 
of conversion like he had with Tommen that he had gotten Marjorie on his side. So, so it was like this super swirling, like what the hell is happening uh, of stuff, you know, where, where he figured out that Marjorie didn't actually buy in and that everybody else figured out that the High Sparrow was full of crap and was only in it to, to make himself look more powerful. And go ahead. Sorry. I like when he. I like whenever Marjorie said the bloody gods, and he looked at her like she was crazy. Exactly. Know, exactly. I, yeah. I, I, the the, the high sparrow was high on his own supply. Okay, that was that clearly. <laughs> but you know, the fact of the matter is, is that Mar. Okay, what clued Marjorie in is that Tommen wasn't there. That that right. is what actually. When there's a moment where she actually looks around and she's like, "What's wrong with this picture?" And then they cut to Tommen not being allowed to leave. And that is what that was what clued her in. But she couldn't figure out what was wrong other than Cersei didn't come and she didn't let Tommen come. Something terrible is going to happen. And because she didn't have specifics, she couldn't do anything. And actually, I comforted myself because, you know, Marjorie's one of my favorite characters. But considering how big that explosion was, she was too late when she said, yeah. we all need to leave. Even yeah. if she'd yep. gotten them all out, they all would have died from the explosion coming in behind them. Right. So you saw, you saw how far-reaching that was. She was way late. Yeah, like, so, I, was, I was watching that, and all I could think of was the movie Ghost, and Whoopi Goldberg going, girl, you is in danger. <laughs> That's all I could think of was like, girl, you is in danger. You need to get the fuck out. And I felt so bad for her because, I mean, she, when she finally got it, yes, it was, it was way, way too late. Um, even if, if um, I think Tommen would have gotten there, you know, she and, and, and Cersei wouldn't have made it there. She still wouldn't have. She wouldn't have put two and two together, but I love the fact that, you know, basically she was like, look, I mean, we all knew from when she had met with Lady Olena that she wasn't in it. She was really not into the religion thing. She was just kind of going through the motions, trying to save her brother and hopefully do away with Cersei for good. Marjorie's only chance would have been to hop on Jamie Lannister's horse and ride away when the Tyrell army charged the Sept. That would have been her only chance of escape. You got. She should have. Go ahead. She should. She should have left at that point. You got, that's when that that's when her chance was to leave. You guys have danced around this. All three of you, or three of you, have said it that she was too late. She's been too late. She's been too late since she started playing the game, yeah. because she was never as ruthless as Cersei, and never. the fact that she never figured that out, or she did at the end. You could, that look on her face was like, I'm dead, and it's because... Oh, yeah, yeah. when well, she stopped and turned yeah. and looked at the High Sparrow? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, oh, I yeah. figured it, like, I was never going to win this because she didn't have the type of resolve, if you want to call it that, psycho psychosis is what it probably is, um, yeah. that Cersei has, and nobody did in that game, and that's why we all knew that Cersei, when they shame-belled her down the interstate, it was going to be... Uh, some they were, everybody was going to die, and we all knew it. We probably said it on the podcast after that episode, and it just came to fruition now. But looking back, was there any doubt in your mind that Cersei was going to win because she was going to kill everyone? Yeah. It started with that drunk guy that the mountain bashed his head against the wall. That's where it started, and it's continued ever since then. Yeah, and I mean – sorry to interrupt, but I mean I just – you know, like with Marjorie, you could tell – yeah, she knew Cersei would never harm Tommen. Tommen. Yep. And Tommen. So as soon as she realized both of them weren't there, she knew the shit was about to hit the fan. 
And even if she got there too late, it was, you know, at least somebody in that crowd realized it. And I think that the High Sparrow, he, you know, he understood, he, he put aside the, the faith and all that stuff and used logic there for a second and realized Marjorie's right. Something terrible is about to happen, and I completely overplayed my hand. I think well, Jonathan Jonathan Price had an interview a couple weeks ago, didn't he, Annie? Where he talked about um, his character not his character not liking the fact that um, he was having a trial and the Queen Mother doesn't show up, but he he still thinks everything is going on right. Yeah, remember that? Remember that yes. interview he has? Yes, he did. It was like two weeks ago. Yeah, right? it actually made us think the trial was going to happen a couple of weeks before it did. Um, yeah, it, actually, what got me was Natalie Dormer had an interview this week. She did a lot of exit interviews, but in one of them, she says it's all the High Sparrow's fault. If Marjorie had been in charge, this never would have happened. And I was my my first reaction to that, even though I absolutely love her character, was, honey, when you were in charge, you found yourself in a jail cell. And the High Sparrow <laughs> came into power because you thought you were playing checkers and she was playing chess. She was playing chess real badly, but she was playing a higher game than you, and she's been playing a higher game than Marjorie. You're right. Marjorie has always been too late. Yeah, the true. thing is, Cersei brought her queen out on a third move, and anybody that crazy... In chess, I'm sorry. Am I nerding out too much about chess yes, right now? Sorry. No, there's another. Sorry, there's Richard another, the Third. There, there's another great chess line here, and it, it pertains to Tommen and Cersei, and it pertain and it goes like this: If you're gonna have to go ahead and sacrifice your king to crown your queen, that's what happened with Cersei. There you go. Boom. Anyway, your, mind is, take the- your mind is fucking blown. All right, let's move on to the Riverlands. and Because I don't want anybody, because I know that I put in the chat that I wanted to bitch about the Arya. Did anybody else have something they wanted to bitch about? Because that, other than the Arya comparison, I didn't have any complaints about the first 15 minutes of that episode. I didn't either. I no, no I, I didn't really have a whole lot of complaint of the whole entire episode, but Corey, I defer to you. That. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I gotta say, like, one of, if not the best episode the show has ever done, certainly in the top five. I gotta say, that was the best, oh, that was the best, besides the, the, the surprising cold open with the Hound, that had to be number two compared to this opening, uh, you know, to me. Well, just but piano. Piano's not a thing that exists in the score of this show. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. This is the best opening of a Game of Thrones series ever. But let's move to the Riverlands and the twins where Walder Frey thinks he's the king of the world. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, to the Lannisters, hear us roar. To the Freys, I forget what their house words are because nobody cares. And, um, and, and, then, and then he's like, and we send our regards and you know, then you have Braun and Jamie Lannister, and I instantly recognize the girl serving wine. And I, you know, for an entire season before the season started, I wrote an article at Wick that said that Arya would come over and kill Walder Frey. And I had, and Dan Selkie, our our <laughs> our editor in chief at Winter Is Coming, he'll listen to this podcast and he's gonna laugh when he hears this. But he's been making fun of me all season long because I've been saying that Arya would come over and kill Walder Frey. And he's been asking me all season long, do you still think Arya's coming over? And every episode that gets closer to the finale, he keeps going, you still sticking to that theory? And I'm like, yeah, she's coming over and she's killing Walder Frey. And as soon as I saw that serving girl staring at Jamie Lannister, I was like, that is Arya. 
my wife's like, no, it's not. It doesn't look like Arya. And I'm like, it looks just like Arya in a mask. And sure enough, <laughs> sure a fucking enough, two two things happened here, guys. Two things happened here. First of all, and I'm gonna I'm gonna connect a couple of dots for you guys. And it's a it's a nod to, it's a nod to book readers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip a couple things and we'll go back to them. First of all, we had Lord Manderley show up in the in the uh, in at Winterfell, and then we had Frey Pies show up at back at the Twins. Okay, and it's a long held theory for book for book readers that Lord Manderley killed the Freys and baked them in pies and served them to the Freys. And he gives this speech called The North Remembers. And if you remember, little Liana Mormont stands up and says what? The North Remembers. Right? She says that. And everybody says the White Wolf, blah, blah, blah. Well, going back to the twins, when Arya pulls off her mask and she's getting ready to kill <laughs> she's getting ready to kill old Walder Frey. She says, I'm Arya Stark, and the last thing you'll see is a Stark smiling down at you. And she's like, she's talking about baking Black Walder and Lothar into the pie. That connected all the book reader dots. So I nerdgasmed. I like got the biggest book boner you've ever seen in your entire life. And I just fucking enjoyed myself so much. And I just want to say thank you to David Benioff and Dan Weiss for that little nod to book readers. Anybody else? Annie, Corey Smith, did you enjoy that? Nobody? Anybody? <laughs> okay, so God damn it. I, I absolutely Thanks for love... leaving me hanging out there. No, you no, asshole. no. It's it's because we don't we can't see each other, so we can't see what you know, like, hey, are you gonna say anything? Okay, so okay, for me, I thought that was a a great you know, Walder Frey, you know, he's over here, you know, he thinks he's he's all Billy Badass and everything. And, you know, Jamie is kind of like, okay, I'm going to put up with this, but I really want to get to King's Landing. But he really gets put out when Walder Frey talks to him and is basically trying to say, oh, you know, all you're known for is being the Kingslayer. And, and, and Jamie's like, well, what, what the fuck have you done? You know, like, really, what the fuck have you done in your entire career um, to win any wars or anything like that? And so at this point, Jamie's done with him. But what I wanted to mention was the interaction between Braun and Jamie. And I don't know if anybody caught on to this, but when Braun, you know, of course, Jamie's getting looks from the other women and, and Braun's kind of like freaking jealous about it. He goes, oh, what, what, what's wrong? Are, you know, is she not blonde enough? And I didn't know <laughs> if he was talking about Cersei. Oh, yes, or he is. If he oh, was yes, he talking, is. Or if he was talking about um, uh, Brienne, because they're both blondes. And oh. so I was, I was like, is he talking about Brienne or 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 uh, or Cersei? And my husband was just like, I don't think he would say anything that bold to, about Cersei. So I would assume that he meant uh, uh, Brianna. You and know, I, said, I actually, you know what? I actually assumed it was a it was a dig on Cersei. But you know what? I think you're right. I think it's actually yeah. a dig about Brienne. Yeah. And it was just one of those situations where I was just like, no. who did he mean? Like, you know, especially since last episode, Braun was making fun of the fact that, like, I'd fuck her. And, you know, I, 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 I'd fuck her. Yeah. I'd fuck her. I mean, I'd fuck her. Yeah. <laughs> like, that bothered me. 
bugs me a little bit. You know, Brienne is actually not supposed to be someone who any of them would sleep with. Like, in the books, she's really supposed to be, like, nobody actually thinks that what she does is desirous. And that's totally, like, the show taking a modern sensibility about her. I mean, I'm not saying I don't love it, but at the same time, like, there's just a moment every time it happens where I'm like, that is so incorrect. Like a little book reader I am. Okay, that's it. Well, no, I just thought it was really interesting because I was like, I didn't know who he was talking about. I was like, I didn't know if he was trying to, like, put a dig about his sister or was it kind of like a a kind of, hey, we just saw Brienne and and I know that you have a close relationship with her or whatever. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting. And I did not recognize the face as it being an Arya face that she had put on. And then someone had tweeted me during the live tweet and said, man, I wonder if Arya is going to make you know, come up. And I was just like, why the fuck would she be here? You know, like she was just, (laughs) she was just in the freaking house of black and white. Like, how did she get here all the way over here? And then she pulls her face. Well, first of all, when she told the old geezer that they're here, your kids are, your sons are here. (laughs) And you see the nasty ass fingernail. And it was just, it was absolutely amazing. It was absolutely perfect. But I wanted to just say real quick that the the time that she killed that um that guy that was on her list the last guy that was on her list and to this one Mary this, Trent uh, yes the when she was the actress she was acting and he was gonna rape yeah. her um yeah. I felt like both of those deaths were by her hands but were absolutely completely different because one she like genuinely took like she took pride in walder frey she took pride in the other one she was really scared she was still that scared Uh, i don't know i disagree no actually i i i I think that there is a level of scared that was in that but also a level of like freak out like she was kind of manic about it when she did it where this one she was extraordinarily calm her face was almost orgasmic as he's bleeding out and that was it was it was a completely different level of creepy I don't yes. know. Let me let me let that, me chime in on this. I just felt when like she killed, but when she killed Marion Trent, she said she she said her name mm-hmm. and she stood there and she grabbed him by his hair and she like she was very very confident but in that kill. I felt like well she okay, but in it the very beginning when she's look like looking around and she's freak kind of freaking out and and I know we're splitting hairs here. I just felt like the the feeling was completely different because it was like Annie said it was almost orgasmic. Like when she finally cut his neck, it was like she had a smile on her face and she was like just like reveling in it like a fucking pig in slop. And and <laughs> I felt like the the other death she wasn't See, well, it was she, her first kill. It was her first real assassin kill. Exactly, and I just felt like she really did learn something in the House of, of Black and White. Like, you know, that she learned something there doing the bidding, um, and I just felt like this is this is a whole nother level of Arya which, and creepiness that, that I, I'm going to have to get ready for for next week. Which, season. by the way, did uh, Sexy Jesus give her some faces to take with her? It was her severance or? package. It was just <laughs> he must have given her given her a satchel of faces and like here's gonna be some faces you're gonna need, okay, girl. But we also we also know on the show that the faceless men also use magic to change their faces. But she pulled off a mask, like she 
actually ripped off a mask. Yeah, I've, so, I, I've heard a couple of different theories. One is, you know, severance package. One is she stole a bunch of faces on the way out the door. Um, my favorite, though, was that she knows how to – she spent time in the morgue carving the faces off, right? So she yeah. actually killed some girl, carved that face off, and made it into one that she could wear. <laughs> I know that's like the, the, it was, I was just like that is so sick. Anyway, well, I I, I have a question though. I mean, you know, Arya is is you know she's going down her list now, and she's now kind of like she's really dedicated um, to her list and everything. Does this mean that we are going to see her? I mean, is she making her way to Winterfell? I mean, not Winterfell. Well, sorry, sorry, sorry. Here's, sorry. here's, here's um, my. Here's what I got to say to that, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, okay, uh, Walder Frey made a point in earshot of Arya while she was serving mm-hmm. that uh, Edmure is in the dungeons. So I'm thinking that she could probably release her uncle Edmure, right? And he can go back to River Run. Or he can go with her to Winterfell. She's got to hear – because news of – to the Starks retaking Winterfell is going to be spreading like wildfire. Just like Littlefinger said, it's going to start spreading throughout the realm, and the fact that the White Wolf, the King of the North, Jon Snow, is now is now there. Like The, the North has seceded from the realm. It is, what would they call it today, Annie? The, nex- uh, it's an exit. The next uh, <laughs> It's the War of Northern Aggression, is what it is. Thank you very much. <laughs> The War of Northern Aggression has now officially begun again, and the White Wolf has taken charge. He is the king of the north, so Arya sure is going to hear about that, and she, what did she say when she is Bravos? I am Arya Stark, and I am going home. So I would say that she probably re- would release her uncle Edmure, and either he would go back to River Run, or he would go to Winterfell with her. I know she wants to go kill Cersei. She's on the list. But I would think that she would go home first to be reunited with her family. I, I disagree. I think she's so – and this is just my opinion. I think that she is so focused on on her list at this moment that you know, her, while her heart tells her, yeah, go home and be with your family, she's got this list that she needs to do. And I think she's, her little ass is hanging right behind Jamie because the way she was looking at Jamie with that smile. But is Jamie Lannister on her list? No, Jamie oh. Lannister's not no, on her list. Not. But she knows that where Jamie goes, Cersei will not be too far behind. Or he's going to Cersei. And uh especially if the explosion happened, that's that information's gonna get out pretty quick too. So I don't hesitate to see that, you know, Jamie had had enough with the Walder Freys, and he hauled ass out of there because he was done with them after the mic drop. And and you know, I feel like yeah, she could Arya could go ahead let her I guess w- would it be her uncle? Yeah, cuz it was his sister's brother, right? Yeah, so, that's correct. Yeah. So, uh would let her uncle out, let him go out there back to his castle and everything mm-hmm. and her little ass is going to be traveling right behind freaking Jamie to get to King's mm-hmm. Landing to handle some the, business. The timeline's kind of off on that. I think that the killing of Walter Frey happened around the same time that uh Jamie had gotten Jamie back. Left. Jamie got yeah. back. Like I don't think that was the night of the party necessarily. Well, and I mean, that was the next. They, that was definitely the next day because he he was like they're supposed to okay, be let, here. Let's maybe. not let's not with timelines. We all yeah, know that they're not actually yeah. following timelines at this point. Okay, we just well they that. are. It's just not linear. Like yeah. like varies. Like the thing is, varies have gone back and forth 
from Dorne to Marine and back. And, and in that time that he was traveling was probably when the rest of the show was taking place over a month's period of time. Like it's not every episode is not a day. It's not 24, you know, like there's um, a lot. Happening. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. Jack because ba- when Varys, because when Varys was in Marine, or uh, what? No, sorry. When Varys was in Dorne, the events of King's Landing had already happened. Mm-hmm. They'd already happened to the point that Oleana had gotten herself a completely new black wardrobe and traveled to Dorne. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that that the Dorne meeting happened at the same time that like Arya killed. No, that's true. Frey. It's like I mean everything. Everything there's there's timelines of people moving, and you just have to assume that that st- we're seeing stuff that may have happened before this last thing you saw or after. That, that final episode could have taken place over six months. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah. You know, anyway. the other thing, too, with Arya, as far as what her motivations might be, is, you know, coming back from Bravos, the twins aren't exactly out of the way if she is headed towards Winterfell. Because um, mm-hmm. if she landed in the salt pans in the south, which is where she departed from back in season four, or if she landed north of the Vale, either way, the twins aren't much of a out, aren't much out of the way as far as if she was heading north towards Winterfell. She'd have to double back a little bit if she landed north of the Vale, but not a it's whole lot. It. It's worth it. Right, right. So she she might not necessarily be going a hundred percent for her list. Just might have been like, hey, why don't I just stop by the twins on the way back to Winterfell and I'll kill that Walter Frey guy. Yeah, you know, he's a dick. A, and you know, right, exactly. you, know what's in, you know what's in between the twins and Winterfell now is that red bitch. That, oh, that, shit. Uh, she's on the list. She's on the list. Oh she's, she traveling, on the list. she's traveling the road. Oh, Sandra's not on the list. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Yes, she yes, she is. Because she, she took Gendry away. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. googling that. I'm googling that right now. Oh, you fact checked me. We're fact checking. <laughs> she said it in season three. She said she she put she put her on the list in season three. But I'm just I'm curious because uh, you know they, she has the it's been point I don't know how many times they talked about it online. Um, green eyes, brown eyes, blue eyes, eyes will shut forever. Well, she she shuts. Some, oh snap! She shuts some green eyes. She shuts some brown eyes. Guess who has blue eyes? Melisandre. So, oh. I mean, that's... And they will meet again. They will. They will. So I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm curious if she runs into Arya first or if she runs into the Brotherhood Without Banners first. She's going to run I'm, into one of them. I'm hoping it's the Brotherhood Without Banners, to be honest. Me too. I don't want her to Spe- die yet. Speaking of Melisandre, this is a nice segue. What did you guys think of, and let's keep it with Corey Thone first in his name. Up. What did you think of Jon Snow... Uh, banishing, banishing Melisandre on the eve of possibly the greatest war Westeros has ever seen, where he could use her help in the Night's King. Well, I guess the Night. I, I mean, I think that uh, first off, it was a very, um, I don't know. I think it was a very almost unstarky thing to do. I think that Ned or Rob would have gotten a block, and. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that, I think that by him it was a him showing respect to her for having brought him back to life, but also b like clearly she's operating on a different level, and John was able to remove himself from the emotion that uh, you know Sir Davos had, and being like okay so you're a crazy witch 
but the shit you've done has worked. So you, I'm just gonna let you go, but don't come back because we don't abide child killers here. They only do that in Dorne, apparently. Despite <laughs> despite what Oberyn said. And, despite what Oberyn said, we don't kill children yeah. here. So I thought it was I thought it was a bold move, and I think that it showed a lot of about Davos's character as well that he didn't just take his sword out and kill her. On the Annie, mm-hmm. Annie. Speaking of Davos, did you tear up when he started talking about Shireen? Because uh, I did. Yes, I did. But you know, at the same time, I was really irritated because I assumed that John would not be so stupid as to send Melisandre away, and here he was doing the honorable thing. And you'd think at this point he'd have learned about doing the honorable thing. I don't know. I think um, the honorable thing would have been the killer. I mean, but the thing is, there was so much. <laughs> there was so much death around John at that point. The bodies are still stacked up outside of Winterfell, probably. I mean, it's like, at what point, enough blood has been spilled on this day, Aragorn. And, and you and John does owe his life to Melisandre. He does, yeah. Yeah, so I, there was a level where I was irritated with the fact that he sent her away, and that kind of colored my reaction of Davos, because I was basically like, Davos, why are you an idiot? Okay, seriously, it's not just her. Like, But at the same time, um, Corey, first of his name, is right. She's operating on a completely different level. She's not actually going to follow John's orders, and maybe sending her away was John basically taking advantage of the situation to get rid of an unstable piece that he couldn't control. Yes, I agree. I kind, I kind of wanted her to remove her necklace at that point. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I want because she said when she whenever whenever here's what here's why I don't want to take her clothes off. God forbid. No, 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 no. No, we don't have here's, to take our clothes off to have a. Here's what time. here's what I want. No, God, <laughs> oh, God shit. damn, no. Here's what I wanted to happen. I wanted whenever she said I've been ready to die for so long now, like I wanted her to show them who she really was because they obviously don't know who she. Like, they know she's has this mystical power, but they don't know who she really is. And Davos is going at her, and like he he was pulling at my heartstrings. Like he's like, I loved her like my own daughter, and he's crying, and he was like making me like I got teared up. Like Liam Cunningham, right? Like he that guy give him an Emmy, right? Like I I want to tell everybody to give everybody an Emmy. Like they're all just fucking badass. In this, I mean, this episode. okay. First off, I have to say I I googled it. I watched the video. Melisandre is on the list. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> moving along. <laughs> moving well, along. I, it, but what I what I want to say. Let me say this really quick. Let me say this really quick. Yeah, she had a great counterpoint to uh, Davos. She said when he called her a murderer, she said so was her father and so was her mother. That's that's exactly right. I agree. That, or you go ahead. Well, that I mean, I'm with I'm with you, Razor. That entire scene, I mean, Davos just knocked it out of the freaking park. You could tell he was in pain. And then to get to what you were saying, when Melisandre counters with no more than her father, no more than her mother, that hit Davos right in the freaking heart because Stannis was someone that Davos believed in, that he mm-hmm. trusted. And that kind of shook Davos out of his anger because it wasn't, you know, up until that point, I think it assumed Melisandre might have just, you know, done something. And he wasn't really opening himself to the possibility that Melisandre couldn't have done anything without Stannis' approval. And when she throws that back in his face, you could definitely see the pain on his face, not only that Shireen was lost, but that he had lost, you know, that the person he had believed in 
was willing to burn children alive as well. Yeah, if your god burns right. kids or whatever, he's evil. Well, so is yeah. your king. Stannis. I mean, so is, I thought yeah. Davos just I mean, every line that he said, his his emotion was pitch perfect. His his delivery was perfect. I, I mean, that entire scene, I was like, damn. You could tell he really did love that girl, and he's just this completely heartbroken that Melisandre had done that. And yeah, I mean, I loved everything about that scene. And then to touch on why John might have let her leave, I think John primarily let her leave just because he feels some sort of debt to her. And I think that maybe there's a connection now that she yeah, raised him from the dead. I think that there's some sort of he feels some sort of. I can't kill this person who brought me back from the dead. You know, even if she might have done some horrible crimes, he just, he can't kill the person who brought him back from the dead no matter well, who what. Wants, who wants to be the person that kills someone that can raise people from the dead? Like, right. what, type of, what type of what type of theory are you going to get rained down upon you, you know? So. Well, I just That's felt, some shit karma. <laughs> I just felt that it was that argument that Melisandre gave was probably the only reason she was able to ride out of King's Landing. Yeah. I think that Davos... Winterfell? He, or, or, sorry, Winterfell. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I've, I've had... <laughs> I got you, yo. I've, I've had a couple of adult beverages. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I felt like that was the only reason why she was able to, to, to ride out of there. I felt like Davos, given the chance... I don't, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen him kill anybody on the show... Um, I don't know about the books, but on the show, I don't think I've ever seen him. He's not. A, he's not a fighter. Yeah, he's not a fighter. Not he's a not fighter. a killer. But I think he would have done it, um, uh, for for that little girl. But I think the fact that she threw it in his face and said, "So is the mom, and so is the dad," um, you know, someone that you you followed and you thought was so great and everything, uh, they were responsible. Um, for that too and I just really felt like that was the only reason why she actually kind of kind of was able to walk out of there because Davos would have probably would that she would have probably been her for his first kill. in fact in fact uh, Davos has a great line at in the first uh, I guess the first episode of the season maybe the second episode of the season when they have John's body in in Castle Black and he goes I've never been much of a fighter apologies for what you're about to see what the hell is that <laughs> William Wallace what is it William it's, Wallace it's, impersonation you just yeah, did you should, you, you should really stop with the British accent it's <laughs> hey, just it's not seven. British it's yeah. listen it's not British it was Scottish my family's Scottish all the Scottish came out of me I'm sorry I apologize well, you know the All in one the go. other thing of the other thing about that scene that I that I really loved was that you could tell Melisandre kind of had some self doubt even in her arguments. Mm-hmm. You know she was she had pain in her voice when she was giving the arguments back to to Davos. You know she wasn't the cool, calm, collected red woman that we had seen in previous seasons that had no doubt whatsoever. She hasn't been all season, right? And I love the fact that she was not that and that she kind of understood, yeah, I burned an innocent child <laughs> trying to trying to get the wrong person to a position of leadership. You know what I mean? She understood, yes, I burned – I think she was okay with burning Shireen if she thought that that was going to get you know, Stannis on the Iron Throne and therefore save the kingdoms from the White Walkers. But when now she believes John is the prince that was promised, I think that she, you know, looking back on stuff, realizes she did some pretty horrible things to some innocent people all in the name of the wrong person. 
And so I, I liked that aspect of the scene as well because it wasn't just her confidently spitting back at Bra- at uh, Davos. She actually kind of felt his pain because she kind of agreed with him, I thought. So I don't know if anybody else pulled up on that. I, I, I got you. But let's move on a little bit to the uh, battlements of Winterfell. And Annie, I want to talk to you really quick. As John and Sansa are watching uh, Melisandre leave, um, they have this nice little conversation about the, the White Raven coming from the Citadel, and they talk about trust and loyalty and how... And we got to um, see Jon Snow smile. He smiled, but what I want to talk about really quick is he kissed her on the forehead. She tells him about... He talks about trust. She kissed... Very tender moment. He kisses her on the forehead, and then, and then she says the White Raven from the Citadel comes, which means... That winter has come, and he smiles, and he says, well, Father always said, uh, and and then he smiles, and, and it was like a tender moment, and they play the Stark music, and my heart just bursted. Like, I was just like, oh, my God. And it's going to be so short-lived. <sighs> I'm sorry. What do you mean? I mean what do you mean? What, 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 don't say that. Honey. Okay, there is okay. I, I'm going with all the different Shakespeare's tonight. There is a line in Othello about pour put pour poison in thine ear. Okay, and it's it's Iago talking about how he's going to basically poison Othello's mind against uh, Desdemona. Right. Okay, I know where and, you're going with this, and I disagree with you. But go ahead. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> I know that because I kind of want to be wrong, but at the same time, like I just watching Littlefinger, you know, point out this southern motherless boy is going to take the throne from you. You deserve it because you are the true-born Stark, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there was a level where I was just like, is that is, is that going to is that gonna nod her? Especially since he said, you're the Lady of Winterfell, but then he's the one who get, gets named King in the North. You know, like that's... When, but when, it's when, too when late, somebody though. offered Theon, you know, so why should I make you King? Theon said, it's not me, it's her. You know, when somebody said... You know why should we make John King? You know John didn't say it's not me, it's her. John said Sansa's oh, retarded. Me. She can't okay, yes, okay, okay. <laughs> Look, listen, so there's there's that. I'm worried that Littlefinger is quiet. We don't say the R word on this right. podcast. Sorry. I've been having a few drinks as well, Isis. Okay, um, <laughs> but uh, seriously, like I I'm worried that Littlefinger is poisoning Sansa against John. I'm worried about that. Um, I'm worried that you know the last time everyone stood up and yelled. King of the North. It didn't go so well. Does anybody remember this? It's I do, but let me say so this. Well. Let, let let me interject this. John did not ask for this. Rob called the banners. John did not ask for this. This was heaped upon him by Liana Mormont, stealer of the spotlight. Okay. I, I have I have think that she wants him to be King of the North so she can get engaged to him so she can. I'm telling you right now, if she, I'm telling you right now, in season seven, I bet they age her up, and I hope they don't. I hope they bring back little Bella to season seven. That's her name, right? Yeah. Bella. Bella Ramsey. She is famous. Ramsey. Ramsey, by the I way. So, it's so ironic. I, I it's so, so ironic, but her last. I so want her to stay that character. Their ability I hope she grows cast, up a little bit. Their ability to cast children is just amazing on this show. And by the way, guys, did you know this This was her first acting gig? Yeah. She had never acted before this. Anyway, well, I, I hope I have, they bring her back. I have a theory, Annie, and mm-hmm. this is this is my uh, – talking to my husband because we're fucking nerds like that, and we sit up at 10 o'clock at night talking about fucking Game of Thrones and looking at maps from Game of Thrones. And, <laughs> um, mm. and so here's a theory is that 
uh, and this is not my theory, this is my husband's theory, Littlefinger still has a play, okay? Having uh, John Snow, Stark, whatever you want to call him, uh, Targaryen. Uh, yeah, John he, Targaryen. It was, it, by the way, that was confirmed by Game of Thrones, yes, by the way. Um, you know, him being the, the king of the north, this still gives him Sansa. Imagine how hard it would have been if he would have been able – because he still wants the Iron Throne, okay? So if he right, wants the that's Iron – That's his ultimate goal. That's his ultimate goal, and that Sansa be next to him. How hard would have it been for her to be the queen of the north and then – to have to go down to um, to King's Landing to to be the queen there, okay? Because because so that unite because that unites the seven. Kings. But it still but it still unites them if he marries if John marries off his sister to freaking Littlefinger, and I'm not saying right. that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying that if he married off his sister to to Littlefinger and and Littlefinger becomes the king of uh, King's Land, you know, the king of the of the kingdoms and everything. That still unites the kingdoms together because there's that. First of all, here's the thing. Here's the thing. John's not going to marry Sansa off to anybody. Ever. He's going to leave. It no. Up. He's he's going to leave it up to her. And Littlefinger, if if he leaves it up to Sansa and she decides to marry Littlefinger. He's only the Lord Paramount of the Veil. They're still the Lord of the Veil in yeah. Sweet Robin. Oh, well, and, yeah, Robin. and I Sweet think Robin you guys are, get are dealt with. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think you guys are reading like almost too too deep into Peter Baelish's desires. He straight up told Sansa, I want to be the man on the Iron Throne. And, and basically the way he wants to do that is to marry Sansa, become king of the north, and then use all those people around him, all those armies and stuff, to march south, take down Cersei, take down everybody in King's Landing, and sit on the Iron Throne. John becoming King of the North like that instead of Sansa is one more thing between Peter Baelish and the Iron Throne. That look that he gave Sansa wasn't, see, I told you they're going to rally behind him, not you. It was, this is one more thing that I have to deal with now, and nothing stands between me and my goal. I will kill your brother. And she knows that. And that's yeah. what the look that they were given was not, see, aren't you jealous? It's like, I know that Sansa's come out in an interview and said, or whatever her name is, it said, um, oh, so Sansa uh, is, is jealous of John. I don't think that's true. I, I mean, maybe a little, but more than anything else, Sansa knows that Littlefinger is going to do everything he can to get the Iron Throne. And now having another King of the North, another Stark in the way, this one with another army that he now is kind of, he can't just ride away. He can't take his Knights of the Vale and ride away now. So it's like he's kind of well, here's gonna a, have to figure here's out what thing. to do. Here's the thing. Baelish now is stuck at Winterfell with uh Bron John Royce. And Bron John Royce controls the army of the Vale, despite what Peter Baelish says. And now that he's at Winterfell, John can control the army. John being proclaimed the, the, the king in the north with all those supporters, if Baelish starts running his mouth and trying to pull some shit John can have Baelish executed yeah. because what did he what did he say? He asked Sansa, Baelish married sold you to the Bolton. So John has a grudge against Baelish already. And what did Sansa say to John? You, only a fool would trust Baelish. Yeah. And so she's already learned a lesson that Ned never learned. And I, there's also somebody who is shitting around in the woods right now, a houndish type person <laughs> that was there. When Littlefinger put a knife to Ned's throat, 
and knows and, and knows exactly who betrayed Ned. That no one you gotta, else knows. Exactly, exactly. And there's also two more Starks that are coming towards Winterfell. I still think Arya is coming to Winterfell, and Bran is at the wall making his way towards Winterfell. Yeah, but 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 yeah, Brendan took the horse. How the hell are they going to get around now? Yeah. Well, they dropped him off at Winterfell, and we already know that Mira didn't even good. give him a damn hover around. I mean, what well, the hell? <laughs> what the hell? No, seriously, like I, I know Mira's the wall. Put, I know the wall is in walking distance, but Bran can't walk. They don't even have a sledge to drag him on. Well, Mira's good at making sleds out of sticks and whatever. Not she'll make him a sled and they'll drag him there. Anyway, uh, let's talk. Let's let's move away from Winterfell and all the good stuff there. We'll go back to Winterfell in oh a minute, God. but I want to. I want to talk about what's – I'm going to ask you guys really quick. What's the best way to make Dorn fun? Elena? Just add oh, Elena. Elena. Just Listen. add Elena. Just, <laughs> just add a little Can I Elena. tell you guys my fantasy ending for the Dorn storyline? What? Um, so after – uh, you know, John is in the north, and Danny and all those people land in Dorne or wherever, and they're getting together and everything. John is like, I want to team up with Danny, Ice and Fire, baby, and we're going to take King's Landing on the way up, and then we're going to get to the to the wall, and we are going to uh, fight these White Walkers. Now, I need someone to go talk to Elena and to those Stan Snakes and everybody else and convince them to join me. Who should I send? Mm, how about the little Mormont girl and get her down there and have Elena and her have a sass off and see who comes out on top. And if that scene could last 30 minutes, that would be fantastic. And I would yeah. watch a full hour of Liana Mormont and Lady Olena talking to the same. The, like, the more you guys talk about this, the more it might actually happen because you know, I'm serious. Like that scene with Olena basically telling all of the sand things to shut the hell up was the fan biggest service. fan service we've had and, and and it won. It won me over. For sure. And the thing is, Olena could then like really take a liking to Liana and be like, Oh, you can be my new Marjorie and then now she's <laughs> Now they're riding together. They meet up with John, and then it's like everybody's all hyped for Kaleen Bowl. I want Sass Bowl. I want <laughs> Smack Talk Bowl in Dorne. I want Leanna to get out and go, this place looks like the Golden Girls threw up on it. What is this decoration? It's awful. Like, I – that's what I want is I want Lana to just get out and, and talk and the old Lana be like, you know, it does look like somebody tried to make like the Scarface house into a garden and then died halfway through. Like just just, just. I, I mean seriously, first of all, you've got Lady Olena in all black and she's sitting there and Obara starts to talk and she, what does she call her? She Barbara? What's your name? Barbaro. Barbara. Barbara. Barbara, Barbara like you look like you look like a little boy. And then, <laughs> and then the other one starts to talk. Sporty Spice starts to talk, and she's like, "Shut up!" And then she goes, "What do you have to add to Sexy Spice?" And Sexy Spice doesn't even get to open her mouth. And then she's like, "Okay, let's have the adults talk." And then here's what's here's what's funny. Here's what I like. Okay, so in the first episode of this season. Doran Martell dies, and I was very upset, not because they killed the Doran storyline, but because we did not get a line from the books, the fire and blood speech, okay? It's a very big book, a very big thing in the books, and Corey Smith, I'm going to let you take this. 
the fire and blood speech. Give it to me. I mean, okay, so if you want any, before we get to that, if you want any indication as to why this might be the best episode of all time, was that the Dorn storyline actually worked and was enjoyable. I mean, right. can you, I mean, you can't name any other episode where the Dorn storyline was even remotely enjoyable. And so the fact that they were even able to pull off that scene just kind of stands to how good the episode was overall. Anyways, going back to the fire and but blood. But Diana, Diana Rigg made it all right. possible, that's all. Right, but I mean, they solved the Dorn problem in that they put some decent actors into the storyline. Anyways, neither here nor there. Um, you know, the fire and blood speech, uh, I, you know, that was one of my main problems with when they killed off uh, Prince Duran was that Same. we were going to miss out on that kind of epic speech. Um, we didn't get the uh, I'm the, the grass and Oberyn is the snake uh, speech that, that Prince Duran gave, uh, but I did enjoy finally getting the fire and blood speech. And, you know, a lot of people afterwards were, you know, we do a, I do a big feast for every finale and every uh, premiere. And afterwards we do a, we do a long Q and a and uh, everybody asks their questions. And one of them was, what did he mean by fire and blood? Well, he was talking, you know, literally, but also he, she was, uh, Varus was obviously alluding to Danny and the, and the house words of house Targaryen fire and blood. Um, yep. so I, I definitely, I, I enjoyed that scene. Um, despite the fact that sands were sand snakes were in it, which is a, is probably a first for the entire series. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it just worked really, really well. Um, Varus's magic teleporting powers later in the episode were, were probably... Well, it wasn't magic teleporting powers. It, it was like six, six months later, he sailed across the narrow sea to, with the House Martell ships and the Sand Snakes. And they, yeah, that's, that stuff's not as bad as when Littlefinger just showed up at that place. Yeah, that, that was I the agree. one that was the worst. And, and if I can just bitch again real quick, I know... <laughs> <laughs> Who invited this guy? Uh, some <laughs> asshole. Uh, I just I have to say that now we're at the end of the season, okay? And the Sand Snakes are sitting there, and so is whatever Oberyn's lady friend, his name was. What's her name? Help me out. Alaria. Thank you. Alaria. Sorry. It's completely Alaria. it's completely Alaria. not Alaria. important Alaria. to the story, which is what I'm getting at, is that why couldn't... Uh, wheelchair McGee be sitting there, what did they bring to the table that changed anything? Honestly, in, in the books, I believe that it probably will be um, wheelchair McGee, as you refer to him. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember his name. I just know that, that whatever he had to offer as a character and whatever Alaria does offer as a character in that scene, to me, as just a show watcher, seems completely interchangeable. So um, it, no, no, I'll, I'll give you the answer. The answer, the answer is her gender. This is about this is yeah. about making all of the women be the ones in charge. So all, so so Elena, so Danny, so Alaria, so Sansa. Like that's there's a whole theme going on here, and that's why. Um, and, and, and I don't. And let's just say that Varys was the one who said, "Okay, bitches, let's get in formation." Okay, that's, and he's got no let's, balls. Let's be honest. Okay, I, I do have to one. say, 
um, that uh, Olena makes this wonderful face when she turns to see Varys walk out. It's the same face she made when in King's Landing when she said, "Here comes my cheese." <laughs> well, I just I, to me, I felt like that this was really important because I feel like uh, what was it wheelchair, whatever guy, Doran much. Um, Doran Martell. Yeah, he mm. he was not going to fight in this war. He would have probably stayed out of it. And the fact that they all want vengeance, they all want to go ahead and basically, I mean, they don't even want to rule King's Landing. They just want to fucking fuck up the Lannisters. And um, and that's what the, the thing that is pushing this whole thing forward. And they all have, you know, this common hate for this one family or person really Cersei. but that's the problems in the books he does it's a game of chess and he plays it so well it's just that in the show they want to put all the women it's girl power oh and they put shut all... up republican facebook don't get <laughs> mad that they're women in charge the problem i don't have a problem the problem no 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 no, 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 no. Oh. you're taking me wrong you're taking me wrong donald trump listen <laughs> you're taking me wrong i don't have a problem with saying, that at women all. love me <laughs> China. I have a no problem with we're China. We're gonna build a fleet. Listen, it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be huge. I don't have a problem with China. Listen, I I like the fact that they're putting all these women in power. I lo- I love Daenerys. I I actually have a. If the Sand Snakes were done correctly, I love the Sand Snakes in the books. But they don't, weren't done correctly on the show. But what I do have a problem with is getting rid of a phenomenal actor like the guy who played Doran. Like well, he was in a... All you have to do – I'm going to rewrite it right now, guys. All you have to do is to let Mycela go without her dying, have her die a different way or something, have Tristanian go – That dude go with her as well. And Jamie, in order to like get Marcella to come home, the trade-off was that Tristane's going to be on the small council. And then he's in the set and gets killed, and that's what sparks Doran to, to join up with, with uh, everyone else. I'm, here I am. That took me – I'm drunk, and I came up with that shit just now. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Listen, Isis wanted to talk about the um, – the breakup section, the notebook section of uh, the finale. The talk. ISIS, take, the talk. ISIS, take it away. Okay, so I, I genuinely felt bad for Dario. I really did because the entire time he's talking to Danny in her – I mean, of course, we saw it on her face. Like, there was no, like, getting her from – talking her out of this breakup like she was just doing her thing she was she was just piling through this breakup but i really felt the entire time that dario was trying to talk her out of it it was like boys to men end of the road was playing in the background and he like he was saying baby we belong together and you know that i'm right why do you play with my heart why do you play with my mind? And I'm just like, the entire time, all I could hear was end of the road boys to men. And I mean, a matter of fact, I think I played it after the end of the episode. I was just like, I'm going to play it right next, you know, both of them at the same time. I know Corey's usually on point with music, but where are you, Corey? For me? God damn it. I'm letting her Girl. talk instead of talking over her like some kind of prick. <laughs> 
So anyway, I really, I really felt bad for Dario. Um, he really, he was, he fell in love with her. And, um, I thought it was just so poignant that like at, at one point he was like, you know, fuck everybody else. I'm here for you, baby. I'm, I'm there for you. And, um, you know, he kept on, was like, what do you want? What do you want? That was the notebook scene. And <laughs> it was, just, it was absolutely amazing, um, to see him, you know, cause he was, he was very invested and, and we saw that she, you know, she wasn't invested in this relationship as much, you know, I mean, I think she does genuinely, uh, Care for no, her. she said she didn't. It's, well, she, I mean, cold. I think she cares about him. She's a cold-hearted snake. <laughs> mm, here her she eyes. comes. <laughs> Watch out, Dario, chew you up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we reached the singing portion of the podcast. <laughs> She's a man eater. Well, you know what though? Well, you know what struck me about this, Isis, is that um, Danny. This is the first time we've actually seen anyone break up with someone in this show. In every other, no, in every other point, like, when Rob should have broken up with Talisa, what did he do? He married her. You know, when when Rhaegar should have broken up with, with, with Lyanna and gone back to his wife, he, he, he went and kidnapped uh, her instead. Like, this, there's a whole, I don't know. no, there's a whole thing where I think, rulers, I think no, no, Tyrion Terri- <laughs> broke up with Jay. I'm not done. There is a whole thing, a whole Raises subplot the with these, with this show, with with the show and the books about how um, how rulers basically choose their own love lives and are selfish about their choices and don't think about politically how they should marry and how that screws things up. You know, with Cersei, with Rob, with Rhaegar with Liana, with all of that. And Danny, for the first time, we actually saw a ruler say, this is not the politically expedient thing for me to do. We are done here, and I'm going to go marry someone else. Well, and I'm going to leave well. you in charge. At least I know that you and the Second Sons can take care, you know, um, which is not Slaver's Bay anymore. It's it's called, what is it called again? I'm sorry. The Bay of Dragons. Dra- 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 yeah. Dra- so I, I really Bay felt Bay like, of Dragons. You know, <laughs> I felt like, you know, it was one of those situations <laughs> where, you know, she's like, look, I... I you know, it's not everything that Annie said and everything, but I really do genuinely think that she does care about him and does believe that he could take care of this um, area because I don't think she would just leave it just on, on a whim and leave those people high and dry, even though she definitely needs to get out of fucking Marine. Um, But I really felt that, you know, after that whole scene played out and, and um, boys to men finished, uh, and he's going to cry later. Not at that moment, but he will cry later. Oh, uh, you know he's crying. Yeah, he, oh, absolutely. He, he's crying. And um, so when Danny and Tyrion, which those are my favorite scenes. I love those two actors together. Um, I love Tyrion anyway, but they really have some great, great moments. And they were very emotional. Emotional on the fact that she was really scared about the fact that she wasn't sad about leaving Dario behind and that she was like, I just wanted to get it over with. And then the fact that, and and I may be out of left field here. I felt like Tyrion was giving her heart eye emojis. Yes. Amen. And, and he was, he was emotional because he got that power back of being hand of the King that some or queen, sorry. uh, And that he felt like, Hey, here I'm useful. Here, someone respects me, even though he kind of fucked up Marine. Um, and then not only that, but he got heart eye emojis as far as like, you know, when she's talking about, you know, hey, you know, I, I, 
I kind of feel bad that I just, I didn't even care. And he's like, well, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of people fall in love with you. And like at that moment I was like, what the fuck, dude? I was that like, was a long lasting look. That wasn't was, it? And, and and she stood up and walked off, and he kept staring at. Like, I think the same she got spot. a little creeped out at it that, that he was giving her that longing look. But at the same time, um, I loved the interaction between him and her as far as like, okay, well, I'm gonna make you hand of the queen, and the look on his face was just like he had been revived again. Like well, he, well, I'd he, like to he make, also, I'd like to make a point mm-hmm. about that too. Is that. You know, uh, it was a big deal for Tyrion whenever he was the hand of the king in King's Landing, and whenever they whenever they took that from him and he went on trial, a big thing when they were making fun of him during his trial was that he made a chain of hands that and they made fun of him, and when she gave him that pen to be the hand of the queen, that meant a lot to Tyrion. Like, he was getting some, a piece of himself back. Well, he also earned it. Which, yeah, I think In King's Landing, he always thought that he'd earned it, but he hadn't earned it. He just had it because Daddy gave it to him for a little while. Right. Yeah, and then I, Daddy suddenly came back and took it away from him. And this time, he earned it, and it yeah. was his. I, yeah, I think that was the big part of it was that, he, yeah, like you were saying, Annie, that before Tywin had um, – kind of giving it to him because he had no other options. Oh, look, there goes Tommen out the window again. Anyways, um, <laughs> I have the episode on repeat. He's doing a superhero landing. Anyways, uh, so, yeah, I, I thought that was, he felt like he had actually earned that on his own merits there in Marine as opposed to being given it as some sort of last option like Tywin kind of did um, back in season one slash two. So, I did get a little bit of the heart emojis uh, in that scene, um, I, and I wrote a little piece for Wick about will Danny take a king when she gets her Westeros? Tyrion would certainly fit in that model because of his last name, um, especially when you consider all the other houses are almost entirely ruled by women. Uh, at this point, so kind of the options are a little slim. So I don't I know. Think, we'll see. Can I, can I don't I know, man. Real quick, because um, Bracey, you've lost your ability to talk in this conversation. Now that you've yelled at everybody, you like some type of tyrant. <laughs> no, I, I I think the three things. I, I think this. Even if she offered Tyrion that chance, I think he would turn it down. Uh, right. I don't think he wants. Yeah. That, but uh, I think he. I mean, he would take Danny, but I think it's. I don't think that he wants the king thing. Um, secondly, what you said about getting a piece of himself back, I agree 100%. Uh, that was one of my favorite scenes this whole this whole season because it, it, Tyrion, we've watched him go from, you know, being a highborn, you know, I don't know what the good word is other than like bougie little shit to the lowest of the low that he could possibly be. Uh, prisoner and everything else to now he has earned this, you know, he, it's the first thing in his life he may feel like he's actually earned that was given to him, like you said, because of something that he had done. And uh, and lastly, we've made fun of uh, Jorah the Explorer for several seasons now. <laughs> but when the time comes to see who she wants to take across the sea with her, it's not Dario. It's Jorah. She told him to go get cured and come back to me because I need you overseas. And she did not say it to Dario. And I think that that speaks a lot about Jorah's dedication to to Danny and Danny's affection for him. It's more it's not 
romantic, obviously, but she's not interested in that necessarily. And I don't know. I, I thought that was an interesting, I don't know, dynamic that Jorah's the one that she decided to take overseas, not that she would have taken if he didn't have uh, Westerosi AIDS. Um, <laughs> but here's here's my question. Um, even though we've seen um, her deny Daria Nohani nope. to come across the narrow sea, uh, do you think that? At some point, since Jorah is off looking for a cure to his Wastori AIDS, do you think that um, Dario will come across the Narrow Sea at some point with Jorah? Do you think we've seen the last of Dario? Yeah, I yeah, think we have. I kind of do, I yeah. Think we have. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. I think that was the end of that. I think, yeah, Sucks. I think they kind of wanted a clean so break. Oh, shit. It's not like he's some dope character. He's just a... I liked him, dude. He was the... Besides Tyrion... He was the comic relief in her group. Yeah, but now Grey Worm tells jokes, so who gives Yeah, a- I mean, now Grey Worm tells <laughs> jokes for days. Grey Worm Theon, has jokes for days. And if Theon can get his swagger back, then he'll yeah. be telling jokes, too. I, I mean, swag back. Yeah, I mean, if we, if we, especially his sister. His sister is fucking hilarious. She's yeah, awesome. Man. Plus, and so, they're going to meet up with Elena, so... That's true. All right, listen, yeah. let's move on. Let's well, I, I just I just want to say real quick as well that I think that Tyrion has definitely come a far way from shoving shit through a little hole um, in in that box. And so I really am glad to see that, that he his character you has – had to remind me. Um, yeah, I know. I had to remind everybody about him shoving shit through a box hole and, <laughs> and very throwing it overboard. I love that. And uh, But I feel like that Danny – has found her match as much as she wanted um what's his name uh Jorah the Explorer to be that person that she needed who she needs right now is Tyrion so granted while she told Tyrion I mean uh Jorah to go ahead and cure his Westro AIDS thing or whatever he's got his eczema Grayscale. yeah his eczema, eczema. <laughs> That he's got and everything, um, but I think that what she does need, who she should have made, even if Jorah was there, who she should have made hand of the, the queen, was absolutely Tyrion. I think I think he, um, I think that was a really good play, and that that the fact that Jorah is not there, I'm happy he's not there actually. So, all right, well, listen, let's move on to uh, Uncle Benjamin dropping off uh, Bran and Mira. North of the uh, – well, just a slight – slightly north of the wall, and Bran sliding over to the weirwood tree, and uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Sam and his nerd boner in a little bit, but we're going to talk about Bran seeing his last vision of the season and the conclusion at the Tower of Joy, and finally we got confirmation that our – Plus L does, in fact, equal J. Um, we got to see young Ned Stark run up the stairs to uh, a crying and bleeding Lyanna. She's in the bed, and she whispers something in Ned's ear. We don't know exactly what John's real name is. There's speculation that it's Aegon or Amon, uh, Aemon. But, hey, um, man. Hey, man. Hey, Amon. Uh, but we don't know for sure. Uh, we know we, there's been speculation for a long time that it is a Targaryen strong name, which would be Aegon or Aemon. But then we, uh, but then she tells him, "Don't tell Robert, or he'll kill him." 
promise me, Ned. You must protect him. Promise me, promise me, promise me. So, I want to ask you, Annie, first, how did you feel about that revelation? We knew it was coming, but how did you feel about 20 it? 20 years in the making. You realize the first book came out 20 years ago? This year? Oh, my God. Yep, it came out oh in 1996. The 20th anniversary is in a few months. Um, I think it's the end of August, I want to say. Um, so, 20 years ago, we read, from Ned's point of view, this memory over and over again of Liana saying, promise me, promise me. And we have wondered for 20 years what it is that she was having him promise. I mean, and we all kind of knew that it was probably, you know, that Jon Snow was her son. You know, that he, he, he had my name. You have my blood if you, if you don't have my name. Um, but, you know, there are some people who this was actually a complete shock to. I will give you, I, I will actually say that. This is one, one of the things that right. kind of, because after last year there was a little bit of a dam break. You know, we book readers were really good at keeping us quiet. We kept the Red Wedding quiet. We kept the Purple Wedding quiet. We kept Jon Snow's death quiet. And it's sort of like after we passed Jon Snow's death that things sort of broke, and you started to see people talking about R plus L equals J everywhere. So a lot of people who hadn't read the books and were completely spoiler-free for many years knew about this already before we got there. So there's that. Um, but there were a few people who still were like, really? And I actually saw people arguing on Twitter. This blew my mind. I actually saw people arguing that it was Robert's child. Oh, and that because he had black hair. And that was how we all knew which one Robert's children were back in season one. And it was such a it was such a mind-blowing thing because I never in the world, I never ever considered that, that to make that connection. But yeah, there were some show watchers only who who thought that this might be, you know, that he's actually a Baratheon and Robert's son. But the rest of us know that's nonsense. Um, and actually, very quietly today, Making Game of Thrones put out a infographic mm -hmm. in which there is a very clear line for parents to Jon Snow. One is Lyanna Stark and the other is Rhaegar. So we now know, <laughs> like, the show has confirmed R plus L equals J. Well, shockingly As enough, not everybody spends all their time on like winter is coming or the subreddit what? or something yeah oh, shit yeah i what? mean there's people that just watch the show on sundays and don't know anyone's names cuz hell i only know half of them and you know it it's it, it was kind of confusing if you didn't know uh what to expect there it's just obvious that ned wasn't the dad i mean that was clearly obvious um yeah. And but, they, yeah. they've only hinted a little bit here and there through the show about the year of the false spring where Rhaegar and Lyanna fell in love. And like, and it was a bare bones version of it when they had Littlefinger do it last year. Uh, you know, there was nothing about Lyanna hearing Rhaegar play his harp and crying um, because it's so beautiful. There was nothing about the whole night of the laughing tree, um, which some people suspect was actually Lyanna uh, getting her joust on. Um, like, there's a whole lot that they cut out of the whole relationship between Lyanna and Rhaegar that have been given big circular hints about in the books. Um, but yeah, they finally did it today and they finally, you know, I, they finally did it this week and I, uh, I, I was pretty satisfied. Um, I, I love, all I could think though when they went from the baby face to Jon Snow oh, was, uh, was, 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 was John Candy in Spaceballs. Nice dissolve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was kind Great of surprised reference. that they, they straight up um, 
you know, they kind of have included a little bit more in the conversation between Liana and Ned than we kind of got as book readers. Um, you know, one of the things that we kind of had to fill in the blanks as far as the R plus L equals, equals J theory was why wouldn't Ned tell uh, Catelyn or Robert, etc.? And they kind of were pretty clear, like, hey, look, if his true parentage comes out, Rob or King Robert would kill him. And yeah, we've always assumed that. Right, we never right, exactly. Sure. We had to kind of fill that in for ourselves when we were coming up with the theory. And so it was a little interesting from a book reader's perspective to kind of get a, more than just the, the confirmation of who his parents were, but also kind of all the, you know, a couple more of the little details that we kind of had to fill in ourselves. So I thought that was definitely interesting. That was the point of the show. I had a friend who came over like two days later and he was just, his mind was blown before we even got to that scene. And, and I looked at him and I was like, dude, you haven't even, you know, I mean, you've got the set blowing up, you've got the red woman, you've got Arya, all that stuff. And I was like, we haven't even gotten to the good stuff in the episode yet. And he was like, what are you talking about? So, Can we just say that uh, the guy who played young Ned, Robert Aramea, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. You're probably not. He, He's not he listening did, anyway. He did an amazing job as young Ned Stark. And that moment when he picked up baby John and a tear fell out of his eye, that was just... He did a great job in, in acting, and he I, he did an interview. I wrote an article today. He did an interview, and uh, I don't believe there's going to be any more flashback scenes at the Tower of Joy or with him going to Winterfell, like with uh, with um, you know him presenting Baby John at, to Catelyn next season. So I believe that's the last we've seen of him, unless they're going to do like. Um, a Robert's Rebellion prequel season, which I wish they would do, oh, but I doubt God, they will. Yes. I hope they do, but you know, I doubt they will. I, ha- I have a question. Yeah. My question is: the sword that Ned puts on the the bed next to that uh-huh. bloody rag. Yeah. Okay, I'm a non-book reader, but yeah. that looked pretty fucking important. What? That's, what did it mean? That was the That's, sword that Homeboy had, right? That's just his regular sword. Yeah, it's not ice. It's not ice. It's It's much too short to be ice. Uh, My uh, wife asked the same question, though. George R. 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 Martin has come out and said that ice being a two-handed sword that Ned Stark only carried as a ceremonial sword to, like, behead people, and it's a familial familial ancestral sword. It's Valyrian steel. It was melted down back in season four? four. The season four opener, yeah. Yeah. The season four opener, and Brienne of Tarth carries one part ah. of it called Oathkeeper, and the other part we don't know where that was. That was part that was given to Joffrey, and he named it Widow's Well. Did it? Did so, it have a design on it that was a sun on that on the like on the hilt of the? No, okay. there's no design. I'm I'm looking at it now. In fact, I'm I'm watching okay, that exact scene. I saw scene. something on on Twitter or something that somebody was saying something about like oh the sun where the blood was running and I was just like people were trying to say that that was you know something along the lines of the the sword and the bloody rag or whatever and. I don't know. I was just like, this must be a book reader thing, and I was like, I really cannot wrap my head around this. So I'm going to ask no, no, the, no, no, the no. book there's readers because they they really nothing, focused on special, that. But I will say this: the sword that he carries in this scene 
is the same exact sword that Sean Bean uses in season one. That's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's just a little, nice little nice little nod to Sean Bean's uh, wardrobe. Anyway, so let's move on to Jon Snow being proclaimed the King of the North. We kind of talked about it a little bit, but he's the White Wolf now. Manderly and Glover had to eat shit for not uh, backing him during the battle. I thought it was kind of nice that uh, John forgave him. Um, Corey Thone, would you have given him? Would Would you have given him uh, forgiveness? Would you have forgiven him? Yeah, so easily. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, in the the people, if you're John, I don't think he expected anybody to side with him. Honestly. Um, and if you're John, you look at it and you're like, no, I get why you didn't, uh, you know, back me. And just thanks for not joining Ramsey, because yeah. you know we haven't really dealt with the other the the the, the families that did join up with Ramsey and everything, and that gave them Rick Ricken and all that stuff. But um, I, yeah, I think forgiving him was clearly the smart choice because it led to him becoming the king of the north. So, I mean, it. <laughs> It's it's what I expected, honestly. I think it was a very Ned Stark thing, and it was a very smart thing to these families that made a mistake, and they are acknowledging that in person. And yeah, you know, there's nothing to forgive, my lord. So, <laughs> Isis, what do you have to say about it? This was to me. I love this scene. I probably watched the scene. I don't know twenty times because I actually recorded it and uh, on my phone of that whole entire scene because I really felt that there was a lot of stuff politically going on, and I felt like everybody else that John did not expect that to work out the way it did. I think he was just fucking happy to be at that table as he had. Yeah, mentioned. the look on his the look on his face was shocked. Yeah, he he was just happy to be at the table, and he just wanted to shore up the place for the start being i.e. his sister you know um he that's all he wanted to do was to secure it for for his sister and and so that that she would be okay and not threatened and everything he wasn't expecting that but man that the dressing down of these adult men by a 12 year old oh it was so awesome it was so amazing that I watched Bella Ramsey for president she is absolutely amazing I mean the way she was just like you know, you didn't answer the call. You didn't do this. And, and I love how he was like, while your words are harsh, they are true. And it was absolutely <laughs> it was absolutely the truth because, um, you know, with her little, what, 26 people that she, that she 62. gave. 62. 62 people that she gave. Um, I just thought that was amazing that she was able to go ahead and say, hey, you know what? Y'all y'all messed up. You didn't you didn't back up our, our guy here. Um a matter of fact, you chose wrongly, and uh, for her to just go ahead and tell them in their face, and then to see the smile out of Sansa's face, like she was just like she, if she could, and she was in a church, she would have been hallelujah, and um, it was just <laughs> absolutely amazing. She just had this like just like little wicked grin, but I think that she she was you know kind of hoping that she was going to say, hey Sansa for uh, for Queen of the North or whatever, but she said, "I don't know." Well, I don't know. I mean, I think there was a little bit there, but she was at any way, at any rate, I think she was just happy with the end result that uh, that John was made um, King of the North, and the look on his face, John was just 
he was shocked and he stood he stood up and still in shock looking at his sister like what the hell just happened here and i love the look on davos and uh, oh my god my favorite ginger what's his name tormund a tormund tormund his uh the look on his face when that little girl started talking so they were yeah. like oh they went oh Annie. hell yeah. Yes. Let me ask you this: Are we are we shipping uh, Liana Mormont and John? Because he's got he's got to marry somebody. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't know if shipping is quite the right word. Um, that is, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that almost everybody assumes that the man is going to marry Danny. Okay, we I think that is just the the running assumption by everyone is that the politically expedient marriage that Danny will end up making is with Jon Snow. Um, and that's fine, but I do think that there are people who think that Liana is actually the better choice. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, there are some people I think who would really like to see that, um, especially if she bosses the hell out of him the entire time. He should um, be so lucky to marry her. <laughs> yeah, because I in the in the books they make they make those matches in the books where there's a younger and an older. Married all the time, and they just wait till they till the the younger one becomes yeah, of age. I, I they do it all the time. I wouldn't be surprised if there was something about um a, a, about like getting engaged to her. I don't know if they'll go through with it. Um, I don't want them to recast her as older if they do. Um, Me either. And in fact, with Tommen being so young, I think that they probably set enough precedent that they could get away with this. Um, though John probably just wouldn't sleep with her or something. Um, and yeah, I just I don't know. I I'm I, I'm more excited about the idea that Brienne will come back to Winterfell and Tormund will be there. I honestly thought Brienne would be at the Winterfell scene this time. In fact, someone when, said they and saw it, him, and it, I did. It, I and I was the, like, the, wait, where? Yeah, I, Sky, I didn't. The Sky Atlantic, the Sky Atlantic gift they released on Sunday. I thought I saw her in the corner in white, and I was like, that's got to be Brienne, and there's still somebody in the white. I'm, I'm watching the scene now, but it's not Brienne, obviously. See, I'm, so. I'm with Annie on this. Um, I've been saying that I, – I, I've been saying that for it, to my husband for a while, but we were talking on our, on our little tweet chat, if you will, and, and I agree with Annie. The most – the smartest thing that Jon Snark uh, – Snark. Good God. I've been drinking. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Snark. Snark. What are you watching the flash? Anyway, yeah, that John Stark can do to keep him and his house fucking alive is to marry that little Mormon girl. Um, I don't want him to have like relations with her, sexual adult relations, but I do <laughs> want um, her to be at least, you know, kind of a sounding board, if you will. Um, because I think that girl really has something going on. That that girl really is uh, smart, and and she's she will do a lot of good for for Jon Snow. She is what we want Sansa to be, but she'll never be. Um, so I felt like that this is an alliance that could happen, and I'm I'm totally here for it. I'm with Annie next year. I better get some freaking Tormund and freaking. Uh, Brienne, because I've already run through all the fan fiction that I can, okay? <laughs> it's not going to get me, unless someone's listening and is going to write some fan fiction, it's not going to get me until the next season of, of Game of Thrones, so I'm going to... I don't, be... don't want to know what you've been reading. I, I'll stay uh, far apart. I already so, just told you. I'm reading freaking so, <laughs> Brienne fan fiction. <laughs> oh, God okay. damn. So, right. Before we go down a dark rabbit hole, oh, I Lord. have... 
I, I have to you say, said, oh. oh Lord. Okay. So, I mean, there was definitely, you know, backing up just slightly. I, I don't think John expected to be named King in the North because I think John's always had this inferiority complex about him as being a bastard. So I don't think the thought even crossed his mind that he could be named King in the North or even Lord of Winterfell. I don't even think he thought Lord of Winterfell, let alone King in the North. Yeah, he gave sons of the uh, Lord's Chamber. Right, and and I think that you know that was a complete shock to him. As far as Lyanna Mormont, um, I I just think you know with the amount of episodes that we have left, you know the producers, you know say thirteen, you know even if they punch it up to fifteen, I just don't see a lot of room left for any type of John taking a queen, regardless of who that is. So even if they did it off screen. Yeah, I mean, I could see Liana Mormont remaining as one of his closest advisors and someone that he always wants around because of her voice. But I just don't see them adding that subplot this late in the series. If anybody anybody on this show is going to bet a bear, it's going to be Tormund. (laughs) And if you're looking for a way, if you're looking for a way to legitimize Tormund, as a guy, because he's earned it. Torment is earned to be a actually, lord. and that's something from the books. Torment is actually married off to uh, to to someone from the north as a way of bringing the wildlings into the north. So that no, is not no, a bad no. thought. No, 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 no. no, no. It's not Torment. It's not Torment. It's a, no, it's the Finn. It's the whoever. But in the show, right. in the show, it'll be Torment and right. and Lady Mormont, and those two will make giant, deadly, gingered. Foul-mouthed babies, and it's going to be great. No, I mean honestly, the thing that they got the a thing... lot of castles to pass out in the north now, though they, they got do. the Dreadfort, they got House the, Umber, they got the Umbers. Theoretically, they got the Karstarks. They got a lot of empty castles that are. Going we to still did not see Lord Karstark, and I looked at Game of Thrones wiki, which keeps up with who's alive and not, and it still says that his whereabouts are unknown. So we don't know what happened to that dickhead. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I know. Fuck that guy. Um, so let's move along. We had an awesome, awesome scene where Jon Snow was called the White Wolf. I love that we went from Rob Stark being called the Young Wolf to Jon St- John Snow. And by the way, he wasn't called Jon Stark. He wasn't legitimized. He was called Jon Snow, the White Wolf, the King of the North. And come on, goddammit, Game of Thrones, put Ghost in there every once in a while, you motherfuckers. It's, 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 God damn it. It's expensive. I don't care. They spent the they money got, on the ships. They spent the money on dragons. And you know what? Ghost is a real fucking wolf. His name is Quigley from Alaska or Canada. They couldn't put him I under thought, the fucking table. Hang on. I thought and, Quigley came from down under. Oh! Oh! <laughs> oh for heaven's sakes. <laughs> anyway. We could have had Ghost, and it would have it would have made the moment all that better. It was still a good moment. Anyway, moving on, we got Jamie and Bronn riding up to King's Landing, and we see that he sees the, the Sept of Baylor has been blown to hell, and he rides in, and he sees just in time to see Cersei crowned Queen of the Seven Kingdoms, and holy shit, he does not look happy. Well, you know, we need to just remember this um, really quick that John, that uh, Jamie Lannister became the Kingslayer for the express purpose of keeping from happening what Cersei did. Right. 
Right. Exactly. And and he 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 told Brienne this in the baths at Heron Hall. We had the flashback or the dream where we had a flashback of Bran watching Jamie kill the Mad King over this. So Jamie's not happy seeing his sister sit on the Iron Throne after blowing up the Sept of Baylor. Although this wasn't a, and I'm I'm sorry guys, I've got to tell you this. I'm actually kind of liking evil Cersei. I don't know about you guys. I'm kind of enjoying evil Queen Cersei. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Okay. So here's the here, here's the thing. And Annie touched on it. Obviously, Jamie shows up in King's Landing. Sees that uh, 9/11 sized crater in the middle of King's Landing, and he instantly knows that's got to be Cersei. He may not know who died there. He may not know what's going on, but he knows Cersei was behind it. And I think that there, you know, we had talked, uh, you know, off and on all season as to what would push Jamie and Cersei apart. And I think that we finally saw that in that, that last look that they exchanged where Jamie has now realized Cersei is fucking crazy. And she'll go to any lengths to maintain and keep power, even if that means killing a boatload of innocent people. I think Jamie understood why she might want to kill the Tyrells, why she might want to kill the High Sparrow, et cetera, et cetera, because even Jamie kind of threatened the High Sparrow earlier in the season. And but she killed. She basically let their their last son die. Right. Yeah. And, and I think yeah, and that was not lost on Jamie in that moment because he knew the only way Cersei could sit on the Iron Throne was if Tommen was dead. Now, as to how much he knew exactly how he died, et cetera, that, I mean, I'm sure we'll explore that next season. But I think all that stuff was kind of swirling through his head when he saw Cersei and all the shit that he's gotten his entire life for killing the Mad King in order to save all the innocent people of King's Landing. And now he gets back and his sister has done the exact thing that he ruined his life over. His sister is now way worse than he ever right, was. Right, exactly. And not and it's not even way worse. It's that he he's basically his reputation and his character has suffered his entire life after killing the Mad King to prevent the very thing that Cersei has now perpetuated. And so I think, you know, it was, it was a quick scene, but it, I think it was definitely a, a very layered and a very powerful scene because there was a well, think, there was a lot think going about on. This. Think about this really quick. Cersei has been anointed the queen of the Seven Kingdoms, but really she's only the queen of – she's not the queen of Dorne. She's not the queen of the North. Oh, yeah. She's, she, she doesn't, the, she doesn't Islands, rule – The Vale. She's not the, queen, she's, not the, she's not the queen of the Iron Islands or the Vale or the Reach. Or, what does she really rule? Or even – you know, you could even argue the Riverlands because – the, the river, the Riverlands will claim for the North. Right. So, so what does she really rule? King's the Landing. Westerland. Right, King's, King's, King's Landing, Landing and, and the West and the Westerlands. And even that, you know, even the, I, that's, I was talking to a friend today. Even the Westerlands is kind of tenuous because, uh, you know, depending on where Jamie and even Tyrion fall on this, you could easily see the Westerlands uniting behind either Tyrion or Jamie. Um, sure. Because I, w- I would, I would even hazard a guess that. 
that I would hazard a guess that Jamie might even go to Daenerys' side if he sees a tear in his hand of the queen. But we'll get to that at a later date when we talk more and more in the off season. Let's get to that final scene, and I would I would say that this is probably one of my favorite scenes of the entire season. It's Theon looking up at the Greyjoy flag as it flaps in the wind, and finally it catches the wind and it straightens out to the Kraken of House Greyjoy. And uh, Annie, what's the name of that music that starts playing? Uh, the name of that track is a, a, a Dance with Dragons. It's actually from last year, the season five soundtrack. Um, it, it was first played in the episode A Dance of Dragons, which uh, in the scene when Danny and Drogon comes to Danny and rescues her. Um, it's just so beautiful. Actually, <laughs> you know what? The first half of it isn't really my favorite, but when about 90, about halfway through the track, about a minute 30 it suddenly kicks in and that last that back half of the track has until the new track that came out with, with the finale which is called uh the light of the seven um mm-hmm. it before that this was my favorite like segment of music like every time i heard that like mournful sound like that mournful note i would it, it, it like i teared up every time it's so great it's it's beautiful, and then you've got that great shot of Theon. He's fully healthy again. He's standing up straight, and he's standing beside Yara. The brother and sister are together again, and it's almost like a theme. You've got you've got Theon and Yara standing together. They, they basically got, run through everybody that she has on her side. So you have the Greyjoy. You have a ship full of Greyjoys. You have right. a shot which shows Dornish um sales and Tyrell sales you have a shot of a uh, boat that they took from the masters that has had the harpy refashioned into a dragon head um uh-huh. you have one uh, you have a ship that is manned by the unsullied you have a ship that is manned by the uh the 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 rocky at least the ones that aren't vomiting over the side um i mean seriously like they're they basically make it very obvious that she has an entire coalition and they're feeding the horses, and the dragons fly over. Yeah. Um, and if you go look at um, my uh, callbacks and Easter eggs uh, article I wrote today, at the very bottom of the article, I did a beautiful gif of this last scene, and I captured the dragons flying over the water. One of my best works, if I don't say so myself. And, anyway, and they're sailing um, west with the sun rising behind them, and it's just great. And you get to see Tyrion. He looks up, and he sees the dragons flying over, something that Tyrion always loved to see with the dragons. And then you see... Varys and, and Tyrion and Masande and Danny as they're looking over and they're watching and they're seeing themselves uh, sail to Westeros. But here's what I want to say. There seemed to be an overall theme of this of this episode, several themes, but brother and sisters, right? You had Jamie and, and Jamie and Cersei. Jamie sees Cersei uh, take the throne of, of Westeros, and he's not happy with her. You had John and Sansa at Winterfell. John was named King of the North. Was Sansa looking on a bit? I don't know if she was jealous or a bit worried with Littlefinger. And then you had uh, Theon and Yara in on their ships, ready to sail across to Westeros. It was just a beautiful type of thematic. I don't know. It, it, it was a, it was one of those off off themes that I really enjoyed. That if you weren't paying attention, you didn't catch it. But man. This was one of those episodes that I did not think they could um, top the Battle of the Bastards. I did not think they could do it. Battle of the Bastards was my favorite episode 
of the series. And I loved Hard Home, and I loved The Watchers on the Wall, and I loved The Battle of the Blackwater. There were some great episodes before this. But, but this episode, The Winds of Winter, was my absolute favorite episode for the, the musical score, the acting, the story, the length of the episode, and for how they, they reveal things like R plus L equals J, um, the, the Dance with Dragons epilogue uh, delivered by Kyburn, uh, just the, the blowing up of the Sept with Wildfire, Danny sailing to Westeros. There were so many amazing things that happened in this episode that if this episode isn't given all the Emmys along with Battle of the Bastards, and if uh, Ramin, what's his last name, Corey? Jawadi. 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 If he's not giving, if he's not giving all the awards, Grammys, Emmys, Golden Globes, whatever he can get, if he's not giving them, then it's a travesty. So I'm gonna quick, quickly go down the down the list and get you guys a quick overall. Uh, what you thought of this ep- of this episode, and probably just a quick what you thought of the season, really quick, and then we're going to wrap this episode, this finale of Take the Black. Uh, Annie, what do you think? Um, I think this is probably one of my favorite seasons. Um, the first five episodes were just you know face punch after face punch after face punch, um, and even the slower episodes I really loved. Um, and then the Battle of the Bastards, which just set a new benchmark, and then this one, which was maybe one of, if not the best episode the show has ever done. Certainly, like as I said earlier, top five. I mean. It's, it, this has been a very good season. They really did manage to, you know, a lot of people were really anti season five last year. And I yeah. think that this, that this really, if anybody felt like a ship needed to be righted, the ship has been righted and then some. Mm-hmm. Isis. Amazing season finale. I feel like the show has redeemed itself uh, from the last from last season. I, I was one of those people who I, I really didn't particularly care for uh, last season, and then this season they came out with a bang. And it it was I mean, other than maybe two se- two episodes throughout the season that I didn't I mean they were still good, but I, I wasn't in love with. Um, I think this was an excellent season. I think we're going, we really have some storylines now that have combined. We're not all spread out and we're really kind of getting where we need to go. Um, Real quick. I just want to mention about Sam, uh, something that we, we didn't talk about real quick. Oh, we did. I'm there for you people. I'm there for you people. Okay. So Sam having the nerdgasm as he was going into uh, the library, the exchange, I felt like the exchange between the guy, the guy that, uh, you know, let him in was kind of the, that maester or whatever. Um, By the way, his name is Lorcus. He's from the books. He's a dickhead in the books and he was a dickhead. Well, the there you go. So, um, Boom. when he, <laughs> when he basically said he was like, uh-uh, no kids, no bait, you know, no women, no kids. Uh, it was that made me that did make me laugh. But I could I could have, you know, dealt with the him being a dick to um, uh, to Sam. Uh, shout out to baby Sam, who looks like the only person <laughs> that has actually grown up a little bit. <laughs> baby Sam's like, like 17. But anyway. no, no. Well, baby Sam, I'm talking about. 
No, I mean, baby Sam looked like he was about six or seven at this point. But yeah, he looked much bigger than he was the last time we saw him. Um, so I felt like that was really, that was awesome. But anyway, back to the season. Great season, great music, absolutely great acting. And let me tell you, the, the kid acting in this season was just incredible. Um, and I hope we get to see some more. Of, hey, Isis? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but did you, did you know that when Sam walked into the library, the astrolabe up top on the, in the ceiling is the same astrolabe that's in the beginning of the of the uh, intro to Game of Thrones? Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I wanted somebody to say that. Boom. I, I did not know that. That's awesome. So, yeah, go ahead. I'm done. <laughs> Corey Smith, what was your take from it? Um, you know, I, I'm, I definitely am one of those people that hates uh, kind of instant overreaction to things, uh, be it Game of Thrones or whatever it may be. Um, but I could easily call this the greatest episode of the series so far. In the history of the world. In the history of the world. I mean, I, you know, uh, I, I, I ranked all 50 episodes for Wick uh, before, the epi- before the season started. Um, and I had Hardhome ranked as number one. But I, Amen, brother. And I... I but... After seeing this episode, I just I can't argue with anybody that would put this episode above any episode in the series because the worst thing that we could talk about for the entire episode was literally the fact that Vars jumped across the map. <laughs> and even that can almost be explained. And so I, I thought everything worked in this episode. Everything worked so freaking well. Um, and it just was... It, it was... Definitely, I mean, you know, I was sitting here watching the episode during the middle of our feast, and I'm jumping up in my chair. I mean, when the episode was over, I literally ran outside and ran down my driveway and ran back up to the house because I needed, like, a second to process how awesome. Did you have needle, did you have needle in your hands when you did it? I did have needle in my hands, so I'm hoping the neighbors... Your, never mind. So I, <laughs> wow. I'm hoping the neighbors... <laughs> But, oh my God. you know, in, in the middle of the season, I was a little concerned because it felt like they were rushing things, um, kind of concluding things really quickly. But, it, you know, in this finale, they just, you know, they wrap things up so well. Um, every scene worked. I love that scene with John and Sansa on the ramparts because it felt like despite everything that was going on around them, they were just having a conversation between a brother and a sister um, and it really kind of felt like a genuine scene there, and everything else worked. I mean, the music in the beginning with uh, blowing up the stuff to Baylor that worked. Um, you know, the ending with uh, the you know the fleet, Danny's massive fleet, and her armada and her alliance coming over to the Westeros worked. Uh, even the reveal of Jon Snow's parents, I mean, that, that really worked better than I kind of thought it would. So um, I don't know that I would put it above season four overall, but I definitely put the last two episodes um, pretty high up in the, in the pantheon of, of the rankings. So I, I, I loved it. I love the series. I love the finale. I thought it was the, easily the best finale of the series. So Great take. Corey Thone, if you don't fucking say that you're happy Danny is in those goddamn ships coming across to Westeros, then I'm kicking you off this show. I mean, yeah, it's about time. 
<laughs> six seasons of talking about boats. Um, no, I, I thought it was a, a really great finale. It's probably my favorite episode of the series, like you guys said. Um, I think the thing about it that makes it such a great episode is that there was so much finality to it from storylines that started all the way back in season one. Um, I don't know. We, we got this season. It's like Corey said a second ago that it felt like they were rushing it almost in the middle of the season. But it, it came together really well, even with the terrible eight, eighth episode. It came together really well. And um, I don't know. It just feels like they went from zero to 100 in a season. because, And I think part of that's because season five ended – the finale to season five might be my worst, my least favorite episode of the entire Ugh. series. Ugh. And, uh, you know, to have such a turnaround from the jump, uh, well, I guess episode one wasn't the best, but by episode two, we had like just made so many steps forward. It was a great season. It had a great finale. Uh, I don't have any real complaints other than just some, some sloppy writing that happened during that speed up process. But honestly, when it's all said and done, when the dust settles on this show, when it's over, we're not going to look back and go, can you believe in episode eight or season six how sloppy the writing was? Like, it's, we're not going to do that. It's just, it's... I can't, yeah. I can't believe Arya was able to jump across the, that, that river. I'll still make that joke. Arya jumping across the river, <laughs> Indiana Jones getting in a lead lime fridge, and the Fonzie <laughs> jumping over a shark. Those three moments are all the same to me. <laughs> God damn you. Listen, man, this was an amazing season, and uh, I've been so lucky to have this panel. You guys have been an awesome panel on Take the Black. I will say this. I was happy that season six was able to kill Dorn in the first episode and then bring it back in the last episode, but bring it back and shut it up in, in the last episode. And they did it with Diana Riggs, and it was amazing. And I love that they did it that way. And so I was happy with this season. Yeah, there was a couple transitional episodes in the middle of the season. And yeah, you can say that they they fucked up Arya's storyline with her being gut-stabbed and falling in shit water and being instantly healed. Whatever. Suspend your disbelief. There's dragons on this fucking episode and people that can switch their faces. Whatever. I don't care, and Jon Snow can be brought back from death. Suspend your disbelief. I don't care. This was an amazing season. It was the best season to me, hands down. So I'm glad that we had it. This has been a great season for Take the Black. We're in iTunes now. We've got a great, we've got a great panel. And guess what, guys? We're going to be doing uh, Take the Black in the off season. As soon as we start getting filming updates, filming locations, who's on location filming, and what we're going to be doing, we're going to start Take the Black once a week. It's not going to be two hours long, so you won't have to put up with this. I'm end. so hungry, we, I might die. Yeah, Corey's about to die right now. But we're going to be doing things like 30-minute to 45-minute podcasts once a week in the off-season to let you know where we're filming and who's filming. So I just wanted to let you know and keep you updated on that. So for myself, for Annie, for Isis, for Corey, first of his name, from Hal Stone, and from Corey Smith, I want to say thank you for listening to us all season long. And as they say in Bravos, all men must serve Valar Dohaias. The dead are coming. Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. 
drink, and I know things. They have no idea what's going to happen. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.